0: Wait, we didn't start yet. Uh, of course, we started because <laughs> I said we're starting now. <laughs> mm. Speaking of cards, I don't know if we oh, got. God. That... <laughs> Please, what? I don't know if we got that far <laughs> into the episode yet. Oh uh, no, no! But I played Slay the Spire on stream recently. Did I? Wait, now I'm confused. I was the last time I played Slay the Spire was that with Dan? I don't remember. No, no, no. You had a solo stream. I had a sl- We played Slay the Spire. I did have a solo Slay the Spire stream
1: before. It, it was the morning one because our we in our brand new <sighs> right. schedule. Da, 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 Thank you. We were figuring out new programming we could do, and one of them was having an educational series That's that happens right. in the morning at nine a.m. on Tuesdays and Thursdays at Twitch.tv/slash PixelNoiseFM. <laughs> so. <laughs> Tell us about your first
0: uh, foray into that. At 9 a.m. on Tuesdays like. and Thursdays. Right, right. Oh, dude, this is going to transition so well. On twitch.tv. Twitch. Twitch uh, we had the idea to do these 9 a.m. streams because, let's face it, we're all teachers here. And some of us are more qualified than others. Uh, <laughs> not going to name names. Um, but we all, we all care about education to some extent. And... We, Tony and I, we kind of agreed that, like, you know when's a good time to learn things? Nine in the morning. Why that is, I'm not really sure, but we agreed <laughs> on that anyway. And we decided. It's definitely true for us. <laughs> yeah, I hope so.
2: Yeah, I I, I can get behind that statement. I, I, I definitely work better. Like, I just, I like to get up, get to work,
0: and then have the rest of yeah, my day. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I think, I think it makes sense. Well, we'll we'll put a pin in that. But we decided to do these educational streams at 9 in the morning. And they were fun. They were good. Because we did Slay the Spire last week. I did Celeste uh, uh, the week before. Oh, God. Uh, We did Slay the Spire the week before last. And this past week we did Celeste. (laughs) So we've had four educational streams so far. Is everyone following? Good. Okay. So what I've learned about (laughs) playing Slay the Spire... Is that I, um, I, I hate this game now. <laughs> <laughs> Why? There it it's, is. It's a problem, man. Because I don't mind talking to people about strategy of the game, but there's something about talking about it within the context of streaming that turns it from an interesting conversation into something that just frustrates me. And I think it's the pressure of like an audience and performing. It's also the pressure of like, I'm the one in front of the audience, not the person I'm talking to, like whoever's in chat or uh, whoever I might be talking to. Uh, they are not performing like they're a voice in my ear. Like I, like I'm on stage with a earpiece and they're yelling into my earpiece and they can say whatever they want, but I'm the one that has to keep my composure at the same time, and also be entertaining and also be strategic in the game. Yeah, so you're describing teaching. Yeah, yeah. It's te- it's well, it's teaching while someone is telling you how to do your job, like in Still your ear so yeah god why the do you do this job man this sounds horrible oh my god
2: um i've gotten very good at ignoring the voices of like betsy devos in the back (laughs) of my head
0: just the the inundating voice constantly going
2: (laughs) yeah no no i i i I have i have a rule because i do get inundated with a lot of people Mm -hmm. with a lot of opinions from politicians to parents to people who actually have educated opinions like admin and and other teachers and stuff like that and as a general rule i have a few few things you need to pass through a few gates you need to pass through we'll say and one is like if you've never taught in a classroom i'm just not even going to listen like just in one ear out the other disregard sure um and now if you have taught in a classroom i'll listen and evaluate but yeah that that's sort of my strategy.
1: So that's a filter that people
0: have to pass. Yeah, filter. That's the yep. one I was looking yep, for. Yep, Thank yep. you. So mm-hmm. uh,
1: not to even further take us off topic, but there was a story, Dan, <laughs> that I think you told on the show where you had a colleague who was like having some trouble and like at your school the way that they coached them through that was they like literally gave them an earpiece and like somebody was like giving them secret instructions while they were doing a lesson. It, did I just dream this or like I remember you telling the story a while ago?
2: that that was that wouldn't be at my school we don't do anything like that um I guess the closest we would get to that at my school is like um well I, I should say that I've heard of that happening so I don't think you're like totally making that up um just not at not at my okay. particular school probably heard it sometimes. um the closest we get to that is what we call like live coaching where like you know let's say uh tony you're giving a lesson and you say um, you give an unclear direction and I would I might raise my hand as if I was a student and I'm in the back of your classroom and I'll go uh, Mr. Tony, did you mean that I should do this and or like'm I'm, I'm a little I'm a little confused can you what, what should I be doing here like basically like little things like that that sort of prompt the, the teacher who's in charge to be like, oh maybe I should clarify what I just said because it wasn't clear
1: which I think is a way better way to do that <laughs> uh, yeah yeah
2: yeah for sure.
1: Yeah, I, I do think it's very
2: weird. Yeah, the, the earpiece thing is kind of weird. <laughs> anyway, also incredibly distracting. Like, right. I wouldn't be able to focus on both of those things right, at once. Sure. And that's
0: why I have a problem. Like, I, I am directly equating the earpiece thing to, like, getting feedback mm-hmm. from chat um, while streaming. And one of the other, like, and one of the differences between the earpiece and reading a text chat is that there's a lot. More disjointed opinions in the chat, like it's not just one person mm-hmm. talking directly to me through an earpiece, and it's not just the fact that they're not performing and I am, but the kinds of opinions I'm getting can range from like good ideas to bad ideas to things I'm thinking about to things I've already disregarded. And one one metaphor that this <laughs> that this was explained to me by a by a popular Slay the Spire streamer actually is that. It's kind of like trying to read directions or figure out directions while other people are yelling other directions at you while you're trying to figure out. It's just like it's, or, or or a better example might be trying to memorize a number sequence and people just start yelling random numbers at you. It's like there's just let, let everyone stop. Let me figure this out first. Like you're not helping me. It's teaching.
3: Oh, <laughs> oh, no I, I will say that the i will podcast. say there um
2: right i will say that there there is one aspect of what you're describing that is slightly different than like normal teaching i guess um and i say only slightly because i think if you are somebody who is not a good teacher and i'm not right. talking about on stream right, right now i'm talking about like in a classroom setting like if you are not a good teacher for whatever reason maybe you just started like i was a garbage teacher in my first year sure um like everybody goes through that yep um but if you are if you are if you are a good teacher then you don't have all those voices but if you are then if you aren't then maybe you do have all those voices but i think that is the one big difference is like if you're in my classroom you're not gonna have 20 different people all sharing their opinion at the same time um because that's just not how my classroom works Um, because nobody can focus and, but, but you can't help that on stream like that. It doesn't matter how good you are. That's not something you can stop because no matter what people can just type in the chat,
0: but besides being a good or bad teacher, what is the difference between a good or bad teacher that makes those voices happen or not? Is it just the procedure? Like, uh, it's, it's classroom management, which is one aspect of being a
2: a teacher. Like it's, I'm not saying like, you you can you can be really good at certain aspects of being a teacher and bad at others, but like that, I sh- so I shouldn't say maybe a blanket statement like that. But if you are if you do not have got it. good okay. classroom management, then you probably experience that in a real classroom also. So that's why I said it's not totally different. But I would say for like most teachers, we're not experiencing that on a regular basis.
0: So, but what you're talking about like managing the students' voices, not just managing like the right well overhead basically right right
2: because because like if you think about it i I have you know depending on the class anywhere from 20 to 30 students in a room and if i didn't have rules and going further if i wasn't able to enforce those rules i they they, it would be chaos they would just say whatever they wanted to say at whatever time um and we would never get anything done Mm. uh but and that that's like a skill like nobody enters the classroom with good classroom management my like you know my my I was talking to my principal about this last year because he was talking to me about somebody who needed some help with classroom management and I was like yeah they do but like they're better than I was when in my first year <laughs> I I literally had a I literally had a kid in my first year in the back of my classroom pull out an e-cigarette and start smoking
0: well so but what do you do when they do that i kicked him out of my class but like okay.
2: <laughs> I, I didn't really know what else to do but like I, I was like and and luckily my my school has a system in place where i can right not every teacher has that uh capability um but no that was ridiculous and like i didn't know what to do um that was like i think that was like months into my first year sure. like it wasn't even near the end um so yeah you know every i i i don't know that i've ever met somebody who in their first year was a good teacher it just i don't think it happens i mean by the end of your first year maybe but like certainly not at the beginning um so i definitely yeah and i definitely think there's a lot of parallels between to try and get us back on track between um i'll ruin that in a second. uh the <laughs> teaching on twitch no i'm no i'm 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 doing that for for your sakes because i'll talk about teaching all day <laughs> um but uh, I think there's a lot of parallels between teaching on Twitch and teaching in the sure. classroom. Um, and I'm just saying, I think that's the one aspect that, regardless of how good you are, I don't think on on a stream, that's something that you can really get under control. Because people can just type in the chat however that like, as often as they want to um, and it's not like they have to raise a hand and it's like there's no there's no procedure there they can just say whatever they want whenever they want and you know you can ban them if they're ridiculous and awful but like for for the most part they're not and they're able to just spew their thoughts into the internet
1: yeah i mean quickly on that we do have some tools to control some of those things like we can use slow mode so that you can't chat more than you know once per however many seconds Uh, we can restrict the audience of people who can post in the chat, you know, to just followers or just subscribers. If it's, you know, too many people, Um, you know, we can time out people so they have to leave temporarily, but they can come back, uh, which is, you know, less severe than banning people where they leave and they never come back. So there's like, there's a bunch of moderation tools that we can use, but um.
0: But you do brand I don't think yourself it's... when you use these tools for certain things or use specific tools. Like, like how far does the banning go for someone backseating Slay the Spire? Uh, because that's an, right. been an interesting conversation between a number of Slay the Spire streamers. Whereas, like a, a lot of the very popular ones, just straight up, like, will time you out as soon as you suggest any other line of play. Like, you're just. Pfft, Get out for 10 minutes, learn your lesson. When you've learned your lesson, you can come back. <laughs> and like, and the lesson is how dare you tell me that's, how to play.
2: Yeah. I, I don't know. I feel like that's excessive. I don't And yeah. maybe and you know, maybe they're dealing with it more than I realize. Yeah. And it's like uh which and and maybe it's more distracting than I realize. Yeah. Like if they you know, uh, so I, don't, a, so I, I don't just know. said three current, but yeah, yeah, I was
1: just gonna say it's all a matter of scale. And this is something that actually uh, I was learning about this week as, you know, as I was seeing this happen and hearing about this happen. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And yeah, the everything you just said, Dan, is correct. Like it seems like it's too much of uh, it seems too heavy of a hammer, but it does depend on scale. Like you said, Tony, and it does actually reach a point where there's like two there's two things that happened where one is you choose to uh, make a rule where as soon as someone uh, suggests a line of play, you time them out. And then after a while, people just stop doing it because they've learned like that, like the community does eventually learn. And then someone new walks in, but you know, every time someone new walks in, there's a rule that you have to click through. uh, And in the rules, it says like, by the way, we don't do backseating here. And if you do, you're going to get timed out. Like we let you know upfront. Um, and yeah, the and this, but yeah. the scale thing is definitely real, and the distracting thing uh, from having streamed Slay the Spire now is like, it's so real, especially because playing like a game like Slay the Spire in particular, um, it's in order to like optimize and like to. Organize all the strategy. Like you're constantly keeping track of so much other information that it again, like you're trying to mm-hmm. read directions and someone yells other directions at you. It's just like I have so many things in front of me, <laughs> let alone people telling me more things behind me. Like it's not helpful. Even if you're right, like it just it turns my brain into a puddle, and now I can't make any decisions. So thanks mm-hmm. for nothing. Like that. That's and it, and that's the problem is that it creates like a resentment, and that's why like people are very hard on it i'm interested to hear
2: your thoughts on this then because my my
0: immediate i guess
2: inclination would be to like if somebody did that to me and i'm also i'm not i'm for for like a lens to view this through like i'm thinking about it like for a channel of our size that you know is is not doesn't have hundreds and hundreds of people in the chat like if somebody were to if we had even a few people um trying to backseat and like i was the one doing the educational one my my inclination would be to try and respond to those people and say like here's why i I agree or don't agree with that because like it is an educational stream like i'm also not talking about just like a playthrough so is there a reason you would or wouldn't do that so for example
0: I'm not one of the big Slay the Spire streamers, (laughs) so I've learned a lot from watching these streamers, and I can say all this stuff about how to use moderation tools, and I can justify their decisions. Uh, For our stream personally, like I've never been one of the big Slay the Spire streamers, so I've always allowed backseating and and you know part of mm-hmm. the consequences of that is i don't enjoy the game anymore and and trying to figure out why i don't is interesting to me um but i still don't think uh i was i am still okay with that decision because uh i do want it like i do it is an educational stream and for that reason taking the input and you know st- even if i that means like stopping play for a second taking the input mm-hmm. and You know, working through it, I think is valuable and is something that I even would want to promote when I do when I have streamed uh, Slay the Spire, uh, Mm -hmm. exactly because it is an educational stream. Now, again, there's a difference in scale here, and it's not just number of people, but like if someone asks the same question or keeps bringing up the same point, like it it can get annoying quickly for stupid reasons. Um, yeah, but, you're describing teaching again. Yeah, yeah all right, f- f- fine. I'm a teacher. I get it, fine. Everyone tells me I'm a teacher. Right.
2: <laughs> the the amount of times I've had kids ask me the same question or even like we read through the, the directions and then a kid goes, <laughs> hey, "Wait, what
0: am I supposed right. to do?" I <laughs> like <laughs> that's that's teaching. Let me sum up my opinion here by saying, I'm a big believer in there's <laughs> no such thing as stupid questions. I'm not. Um, <laughs> me me neither, to be fair but when i'm a t- <laughs> Wait, what <laughs> hold on, hold on. but when i'm a teacher it's not productive for me to say there's no for there, like your question is stupid like that's not helpful yeah so right. i i, right. I- no th- there's there's a
2: way to there's a way to make a kid r- or or not a kid there's a way to make a student realize that their question is not productive and May or may not be stupid, but may, is not relevant. And also, an, like
0: and an example um, of that and, would be they weren't paying attention, and you just asked a question that is now stupid. So good job on you for not paying attention. You just embarrassed yourself, and like that's a, and that's a lesson in and of itself.
2: So and this this is this is more for like the. "Quote unquote real teachers that may or may not be <laughs> listening. Not so much for like streaming teachers, <laughs> but like I'm the, not a
0: real teacher.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, like I don't. This wouldn't but, work on but, stream, I don't think. um And it, I and don't think it would work for like slay the spire. Teachers. But like if you are if you are teaching, if you are teaching like like a in in a in a classroom setting or like even a virtual classroom setting or whatever, like with with." students who are their only job is to be there to learn they're not necessarily watching right. for entertainment or anything like that. Um so the the teacher pro tip I would give to that is like, you know, let's say I read the directions, Johnny says, but what am I supposed to be doing? Instead of me looking at them and saying, "Wow, that was stupid," or looking at them and being like, "I just read it, weren't you listening?" I can What's what we? I don't know if this is like a my school thing or like a teaching thing in general, but like what we call a cold call, which is exactly what it sounds like, where you call on somebody without giving them warning. So I would I would say, hey, Tony, what can you can you let Johnny know what we're doing? And that would do two things. One, it would save me from repeating myself and getting annoyed. Um, and it would allow me to check if my directions were clear and Johnny wasn't listening, or if my directions were just
0: unclear. I like, I like, I like that extra bit of like, it kind of pushes up against like, oh, maybe I was unclear. So if I take like a random person.
2: Yeah. And, and that's something, that's something I get on teachers about all the time because like as part of, part of my job is as, as a grade level leader at my schools, I have to coach other teachers. Um, and something I get on them about all the time, whenever that I hear like, oh, you know, like, these these kids are just not listening, or like oh they're they don't like I've heard like oh they don't want to learn this like they're they whatever like all this stuff. um Like my first my first thing I think about is like are they not listening because they don't want to listen or are they not listening because you're not um, engaging them? Like do you do do you give them a reason to listen? Like are 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 your instructions clear? Are they trying to follow your destru- instructions but they just don't know what to do? Um, like I think like 90% of being a teacher is just being reflective about like what you probably did wrong. Um, because, you know, from what I've seen is in like my now, you know, I'm closer to a decade than I am to zero years. (laughs) Um, uh, what I've seen in in my years in the classroom is like, for the most part, you know, there's always going to be one or two kids, but like for the, for the most part, like kids want to learn and they want to be successful um so if they're not why like it's it's usually it it's usually not always but usually it's not because of what they're doing
3: mm,
2: that's in- and it may not be because of the teacher either it could be because of something completely right. outside of our control um like it could be something from their home life or whatever but it's it's 99 times out of 100 it's not because the kid is sitting there saying i, d- I don't want to learn
0: so that's interesting because I just quit a job where I was uh, teaching groups of kids. And for a lot of reasons, my situation was unique because I always got a different set of kids. And like you had mentioned earlier, you had the ability to kick a kid out of class. And I don't feel like that is like a leverage that I had on kids when they were misbehaving. Mm-hmm. It's like I can only remind them that they're misbehaving, but like not actually. There's no consequences to those actions. And I couldn't prove that there were. Um, mm mm-hmm. So like as like as a teacher, I felt like the best that I could do was just make it even more boring for them. By like, if you're gonna misbehave, then we're just gonna sit here and wait until you're done. <laughs> and how'd that go for you? <laughs> it's, it was like it was awful, but like it was it was random that the groups of kids I would get because I, I some groups of kids were great and they would respond well, and mm-hmm. uh, some groups of kids like I would have to like work at and take time for, and eventually they would come around. Yeah. Um, and, and I'd, the I'd be willing to that... bet
2: that you would be able to describe how good of a teacher their main classroom teacher is by the mm,
3: group of kids mm,
0: mm. I'm not gonna say anything bad about anyone else just yet i I only just quit I'm still <laughs> like I'm not too I'm not too liberal with what I'm gonna say about them just yet and and I sound like I'm being harsh i do. like i'm
2: so. not I'm not trying <laughs> to throw people under the bus and say like oh they're a terrible teacher like we all have stuff we're working on and for i would say a lot like a, a probably a majority of teachers the the main thing that they're struggling with is classroom management sure like it's i think it's incredibly rare because in in my mind like there's there's two as two maybe three aspects of being a teacher like in in terms of like oh like large umbrella sub like things um and it's classroom management and mm-hmm. instruction, and then maybe, you know, like data analysis, if you want to go there. Um, but like most teachers are pretty pretty decent at the instruction part. like people don't get into into teaching without knowing the subject they're teaching usually. it's it's the it's the getting the kids to sit there and listen to you is the hard part.
0: So this is why I think I think the classroom management in teaching is exactly, kind of the same metaphor as like developments and polishes for video games. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just just like reel me back in right. whenever I go too long. <laughs> no, no, because this is actually this is something else I wanted to talk about. <laughs> because I had just played Thomas Was Alone on stream, which is a game by a developer who I really like and I don't like him because i think his games are good i like him because i've heard him talk and i think he's fascinating (laughs) then i decided to start playing his game so i started with thomas was alone and i was able to beat the game is about a 100 levels and then has an additional 10 or 20 or something after that um and i was able to beat all of that in like three to four hours and one thing that I thought was interesting was oh God, there was a lot of interesting things. This game came out in two thousand uh twelve, let's say I don't know, <laughs> but the game came out a while ago, and <laughs> it's i it's funny because I ran into um uh what's it called uh voice acting what's the word dialogue, voiceover, voiceover? No, what's the word I'm looking for? Voice acting. No, not voice acting. Yeah, voice acting it's, is the like thing. Is the, that what you're talking when about? When they're like when it, when it, when a movie opens, narration, that's the word. I ran into narration right away. That's the word I was looking for. English is easy. So I ran into narration right away in the game, hmm. and I thought that was interesting because I've always had this or I've had this opinion for a while that narration's kind of like a very boring way to tell a story. Um, and the narration starts with this British voice actor. Um, and I say that like, you know, it's very pretentious, uh, which is Mike Bithel's <laughs> yeah, words. you, Brits. <laughs> that's, that's Mike Bithel's words, not mine, by the way. Um, he <laughs> called his game pretentious, so I'm just quoting him. Uh, because he has a British voice actor, and the first words are like, Thomas was alone. Well, that's an interesting thought to have for Thomas, isn't it? And it's just like, yeah, and it went on and on and on. And I don't want to rag on the narration too much because I did reflect on it afterwards and think there were uh, points in the game that the narration didn't form my opinion of certain characters. Now I do need to point out that when I say characters, uh, this is a game about a couple of differently shaped squares and rectangles. Um, but every <laughs> square and rectangle is slightly different in shape, and they are all and they all have a different color as well. So those are already two ways that you can differentiate them. Uh, but the narrator also gave them a name. The narrator also gave them personality. And personally, I was—I'm always hoping for like getting those details through the gameplay instead of you know being told these details. It's like, oh, it's, uh, you know, Sarah was—Sarah's very bitter, and it's just like, all right, so what? Like, I—I I would like to play a game and find out like. And, like, through the gameplay, like, Sarah is, like, resisting solving the puzzle because of something that happened. And then I can, like, figure out or, like, I can realize that she's bitter or frustrated through the gameplay. Uh, But anyway, that's more a side thought. Um, My point is that the game ended up being a lot more of an interesting puzzle game, kind of like The Witness, where the puzzles didn't really just inform didn't really inform the story as much as the puzzles were just interesting in and of themselves. And a lot of the story, not all of it, but a lot of the story just came through narration. But unfortunately there was also a lack of polish that the game had where there was like these weird sound effects. Uh, the volume, the, the music in the backgrounds, uh, was this running track that slowly changed over the course of the entire game, but never stopped um, but as it changed, it also got louder and it got louder to the point where uh the chat uh the on stream like no one could hear me talk anymore. And I turned the volume down to its lowest setting, and chat could still couldn't hear me talk anymore. <laughs> and it was just absurdly wow. loud. And I'm just like, this is not a pleasant experience. Like you know, like it, like it's loud in my ears. Like I'm constantly turning down my own mic, my, my my own volume in my ears. Mm-hmm. And that lack of polish didn't ruin the game but it did expose the game a little bit like it, it was clearly like you know this game was clearly self-published this came like it, it could have done with a few more rounds of uh, quality assurance I, I also I'm not sure if that is a comment on the
2: fact that it's self-published because I actually experienced something similar with a Netflix mm-hmm. show recently um, where uh, I texted a friend of mine and I was like I, I like this show a lot but the the uh fight scenes are obscenely loud (laughs) like to the point to the point where like you know i think my tv was on like 35 volume or whatever um, like while i was watching yeah sure maybe i don't know um it it was on like 35 we'll say um and for like the the main bulk of the show and then the fight scenes would come and i'd have to turn it down to like five because it was just so loud um and I also viewed that as like yep. a, an oversight. I was like, there's no way, like, I'm sh- that this must've been on purpose. Cause this is a, f- like it's umbrella Academy. If you're familiar with it, like this is a, a big Netflix show. Um, Ooh, uh, it's good. If you haven't watched it, it's, it's a non-comedy that actually got me invested wow. in it. It's about like mostly superheroes. Um, it's based on a comic by, uh, Gerard Ray, uh, Gerard way from, uh, my chemical romance. Um, but it's, uh, uh, yeah, like I was, I was like, you know, this must've been a choice. Like this is a, a a big budget Netflix show, but like, it just, it, it made me, I don't know. It it just, it took me out of everything. It took me out of the show. I was like, this is so distracting.
1: I have something to say about that because you're both describing Mm -hmm. this as an oversight and I do view this as a choice. Uh, like if we're talking about So in sound design, we call this dynamic range, uh, which is the amount of contrast between the loudest sounds and the softest sounds uh, within a particular audio track. So in both of these examples, in the game example and the TV show example, they have high dynamic range in their sounds. Uh, This is also true of imagery, right? When you look at an HDR picture on an HDR display, the contrast between the brightest most vibrant saturated parts of the scene and the darkest parts of the scene uh, are much more, much more literally contrasted from each other than uh, in a standard dynamic range picture. Um, And within these particular specs, there are adjustments you can make to your equipment, which is again, where we get into the philosophical thing. Is it the obligation of the creator to reduce their dynamic range and make things flatter and and remove contrast from their art or is it up to you to set your equipment for viewing the art so that it's within a dynamic range you can accept. So for example, with picture, you can set your picture settings so that the brightest parts of the scene aren't brighter than you want them to be. So it's not like, you know, burning out your eyes because because modern HDR displays. Like if you see a sunrise, like the sun can <laughs> literally mm-hmm. like make you squint. So they get so bright. Um, <clears throat> Similarly with sound, you can set the dynamic range of your sound to be, uh, in many games, to be wide or medium or small. They have different gradations, um, like in... uh, like, if you're watching TV shows on an Apple TV, you can always, in your sound settings, the, in the quick menu that comes down from the top, you can choose whether you want, like, limited dynamic range or full dynamic range, which you would want to choose because if you're watching a show late at night, maybe, or you have something on in the background, you probably want limited dynamic range. But if you're watching something and giving it your full attention and you want the full contrast, then you want to hear it in full dynamic range. So... Um, I just want to make the point that the controls are there, and having more contrast in your sound or your picture is not an accident. It's a choice. And if you don't like it, you should set your equipment differently, in my opinion.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I I originally thought it was an oversight. I, re- I realized... Not that I thought it was an oversight. like I knew it was on purpose because it was every fight scene without fail. Um, and I just found myself wondering why they went so far with it because it was to the point where like the, the level my TV volume needed to be on to hear the dialogue was fine. That it was a normal volume. Like it was no different from any other show that I was watching. And then I was like, I need earplugs when I'm watching the fight scenes. Right. Like I'm not in a movie theater. This is ridiculous. If you reduce your dynamic Um,
1: range, then you don't have to adjust your volume as much. Yeah. Also people do have home theaters. You know, uh, some people do want that big of a range so that when they play it on their, you know, 12 speaker Dolby Atmos system, that they hear it, you know, that they hear a contrast like a movie theater. So, like, it's, you know, I would say it's better for that data to be there and you can turn it off rather than have that data not exist for people that want it.
2: You know what I mean? I guess I just don't know how to turn it off on my TV. I'll have to look there,
1: through the settings, yeah. right? <laughs> and it's different. It's right. different
0: depending on how you're watching, but uh, yeah. right. And that's, I think, an important point here because not everyone has the tools to make these changes. Not everyone is certainly aware. Um, and in my case, I mean, my very specific case, I had a very specific example. Um, but there's no way I can easily, well, there's no way I could have anticipated this problem, um, except to say, like, from here on out, I just have to make sure that I have the ability to do this in case any game ever does this ever again. Um, But in my case, I had, like, there there would be two knobs that I have to turn, uh, which is the volume in my ears, but also the volume that I'm outputting with my voice to my stream as I play this game. Um, but it's not like I can anticipate it with this individual game because I don't, wanna, I don't want to know what this game is going to do. I want to go into the game blind, uh, which is important uh, to my experience. And the other thing I would have to do is be aware that it is drowning out my voice. Um, and these are all like different tools and features that I need to have. Um, and it's difficult <laughs> in order to uh, do that.
1: And I, and I, agree. yeah, but streaming is hard. Like this is just a part of like getting the balance, right. It's just a part of streaming and you just need to know this. Like, I mean, you're not, your, your use case of I'm streaming the game is not the typical use case of I'm just a solo player playing the game. Like I can easily, I, I have played this game. It was years ago. So I don't, I don't remember everything about it, but, I could very easily imagine that you get to this end of the game and the sound is loud and rough and harsh and unpleasant and that's on purpose. It's supposed to make you uncomfortable.
0: I'm not disagreeing. Now with that's that. not Anything optimal. Yeah.
1: That's not optimal for when you're streaming <laughs> because it causes, you know, logistical problems of the audience can't hear you. But that's why, as a streamer, you have to limit your dynamic range. Like, I don't think the argument should be that the game shouldn't have made a bold statement because you need to balance your audio better. That's right, which is not
0: the argument that I was going to make. Let me work backwards here. The game
2: designers need to anticipate Alex's needs. Boy, come on.
0: Work backwards for God's sake. (laughs) I, oh boy, I understand that this can easily not be an oversight anything in a game can be or not be a choice. Like you take the example of like the room, the movie that came out and it's just like, there were a lot of choices that people would call objectively bad, but without those choices, we would not be a talking about the game right now, uh, the movie right now. And B, it just wouldn't have the recognition that it does. Um, and that's like, as that's the closest I can get arguably right now to an objectively bad piece of art. Um, but you know, you know, those were all choices basically, like for, again, for sake of argument, like the, these choices were made and maybe they were made to be genuinely good, uh, but they were wrong, but it's a good thing they were wrong because the movie's probably more <laughs> famous than it ever should have been had they made like better choices. Then it would just be an average to bad movie that just flies under the radar. Um, so I understand how having, like, I understand having the contrast, contrast potential, can be helpful especially for those who do want it um i think it's very easy to take that argument to an extreme and see how that there has to be a problems at some point where like if you pump your volume up to like absurd levels and it's just discomforting to the large pro- large number of human beings that hear the game like yeah there has to be a line drawn somewhere and the line for me personally, I can't speak for the rest of the world is like, I have to turn down the volume in my ears and I would rather not have to do that. And again, I did mention that this was a specific exa- example to my case. I know I'm a unique case. I know the majority of people playing it, that's streaming it. <laughs> I don't have to be told that or repeat that. Um, but um, it does take me out of the game when I ever have to adjust the uh, the knobs in order to in order to interact with it uh like that is an experience that is not part of the game itself or any movie or tv show when i have to go into my tools and make it work within my settings and then the responsibility of is it mine or theirs it's a difficult problem and the answer is ultimately it lies on both of you uh but the optimal answer here is that you both try to find the closest balance that satisfies the most number of people
1: so, yeah, and and I just want to okay, point uh, out that yes, you're right, but just uh, I want us to acknowledge that that's a preference of yours. Fine, and that's not going to be the same for everyone. Yeah, um, exactly. So, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I'm totally, totally on board with that. I just it's yeah. not
1: it's not an oversight. Like,
0: I I don't think any of us ever <laughs> said it was an oversight. Honestly, it seemed. I think even I'll when play da- back the tape. <laughs> you can play back the tape, but even when Dan you were describing it, I think when you were talking about it, you 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 did use the word oversight, but you were also trying to figure out like how could this be an oversight? Like it was so obviously apparent to you that it was always the fight scenes. Yeah, like
2: yeah. I I knew it wasn't a mis- Yeah, I knew I knew it wasn't a mistake. Like I knew this was a choice. I I think what was confusing to me is why the choice was made to have that large of a difference in in a setting where unlike your your example i am the average use case right like i'm watching it on a tv in my living room that's i I, I don't have data to back that up but i feel like that has to be the average use case for netflix viewers um like unless you're watching it you know with headphones on an ipad or something like that but like the majority of people are not watching it in a home theater so in my mind i feel like you sure have that but maybe maybe they should have got maybe there's i don't know if this is even possible maybe they could have gone the other way where it's like you can enable that setting if you know enough about audio to want it um but like most of you don't have that and this is going to bother your neighbors and ruin your hearing so let's not do this <laughs> but i just
1: want to point out that a lot of people have preferences that we might not necessarily agree with like most the the, the yeah, their prime preferences example are wrong. i think of is that <laughs> most people Most people prefer way (laughs) too much bass in their headphone sounds. Like Beats headphones are very popular and they are way too bass heavy to hear things clearly or properly. But that's my preference, right? Some people really like to have way much more bass than the original um, mixer uh, or master intended for a track and that's their preference and I don't like it. And I think it's the same thing with dynamic range. Like some people like to have a huge amount of dynamic range and some people like to have almost no dynamic range and there's other people in the middle. Like I'm going to bring this back to the last of us. What a great thing about onboarding in the last of us is they make you go through those settings before you start the game. They have you calibrate the picture. Mm-hmm. They have you choose your sound output device and your dynamic range, all while you're setting up the game before you get in. They make you walk through that and set that up so you go in and you have a good experience. So, like, again, like, as, as far as, like, raising the standard of what I expect, like, I, I, I'm I a person who automatically, when I boot a game for the first time, the first thing I do is I go to the options menu and I read the options. <laughs> we know. Most people don't do that. That's not the typical oh, we know. Case. Right. That's
0: not the <laughs> average case.
1: but it is what you do if you want to have an experience that's tailored to what you want. And so like the last of us made that experience the default by making you by default, go through the options menu and then you get to play the game. So like, I, I will, I will say that there's different choices they could have made here. And I will accept the argument that maybe by like a limited dynamic range should be the default because maybe that's what most people want. Um, but it's just one of these things where I'm just going off conjecture. Uh, maybe more people do like huge dynamic range. Maybe because, you know, a lot of people like too much bass in their headphones. Like <laughs> all, all I'm saying
2: is that when people make these decisions, they, th- they should think about what I specifically oh want God. God. Right. <laughs> and
0: do that. So what I think is fair to say is that one of the points, uh, Dan, about your experience with this is that you don't experience this very often. So this... Is an no, it's also it's also worth noting that when I think back to
2: when I said what show I was watching, I mentioned that this is a non comedy show that grabbed my interest. So most of That's what I'm true. watching is comedy. So there's not point. a lot of That's fight scenes. Um, so That's I don't I don't point. have a lot of experiences with shows that do this, right? Uh, or with with shows that even have the option to do this, I should say. Um, like, you know, the, the office is not going to crank the music up when we go into Michael <laughs> Scott's office. Um, like it does, <laughs> yeah, just doesn't, doesn't make sense. What a choice that um, is. <laughs> I, I, w- I will say that from what I've seen in my very limited exposure to these types of, uh, this type of media, um, both in TV shows and movies, it does seem to be pretty common. Um, I've noticed it in movies as well. Um, I definitely have seen more action movies than I have action TV shows. Um, and it, from, you know, this is anecdotal and even worse, not something I was actively focusing on the, t- uh, on like when I, when it happened. So like, but I feel like I remember most action movies crank up the, the volume during the action, during the, like the fight scenes. Wow.
1: Yes. Uh, it, <laughs> I, I would agree. I think that this is something that is definitely, um, more normal than you might expect for genres of media that you don't normally consume. Uh, granted, if you're saying like the difference in the contrast was between like a level 30 on your TV and a level five, like that, yeah, that it was absurd. That is, that is a larger than normal contrast, I will say, but I will say that it from, you know, I do watch more like dramas and action and things like that. And there, there is, there is a lot of, uh, there, there is a lot of contrast. Yeah um, this
2: this one was a particularly like a lot like I the first time it happened I like jumped off the couch I was very right. very startled and The thing <laughs> is
1: I like high dynamic range you know, I like I think it's I think it's cool if I'm watching a piece of media and it actually surprises me uh, or there's a huge contrast in a scene and like the sunrise makes me squint a little like I, I like that experience. Not everybody wants that experience.
2: That is cool. Yeah. The sunrise one. Um, And I, 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 I liked being I like being surprised by media, but I don't like being I don't know. I, th- I feel like I'm going to. Differentiate between like surprised and shocked, or also uncomfortable. Like, <laughs> I, I
1: like startled,
2: yeah. Startled. Like, like, I like a, yeah, startled is a good word. Like, I, I, I like to be surprised in like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Um, but I don't like to be surprised in like, ow, that hurt,
1: <laughs> yeah. Like, I, um, <laughs> I'll also say that, you know, like, I, I just said I, I like higher dynamic range, but also I believe movie theaters on the whole are too loud, like. <laughs> mm. Yes, I I would agree with that. Like in in the before times when I went to movie theaters, I do like going to movie theaters, but uh, you know, it's it's just generally too loud. And then it's like, well, I could wear earplugs, but but earplugs don't earplugs don't just limit sounds; like they also reduce dynamic range because they have different sound isolating properties at different frequency bands. And it's it's a whole like that, that's a whole different topic. So like, I usually don't wear earplugs, <laughs> um, but it's just. Yeah, it's I guess I'm just saying it's all a matter of degree and uh mm-hmm. like especially with movie theaters being so loud I like I feel like I feel like the general preference is people like these kinds of media to be like really loud and in your face. I'm I'm wondering how much of it is that and how
2: much of it is like when movie theaters first, you know, came about people like they were playing the movies at a normal volume but people were talking and so they were like let's just turn up the volume so we can't hear anything but the movie
0: i i have a couple (laughs) things to say about this one is i remember watching an interview with freddie mercury who said that you know the music industry eventually learns that once you get all the recording done you mix it up to the point where all the volume is blasting as loud as possible without clipping and this is because people like loud like Freddie Mercury, this is like a philosophy mm-hmm. that he wrote his music with. It's like people okay. like loudness. So, I mean, if you want an authority, Freddie Mercury is pretty good.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, yeah I trust and what also, he has just to say. Very quickly, I do remember seeing some psychological studies along the way in my travels that um, if you play a sound and you play the same sound just louder, people will say like the quality of the sound is higher. Yeah. Even though it's ju- it's just louder. I've al- I've also you-
2: heard that. Which
0: I which I don't like and I don't agree with. Like for me, it's just louder. Uh, like well, so 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 the other thing I wanted to say is that uh, talking about higher dynamic range, I don't think higher dynamic range. If you just add that to a random piece of media, it makes it better. I think there's a probably a good true. way and a bad way to do it. For example, true. just upping the volume during all your fight scenes not very creative good job sir or madam like it's not, like i'm not very inspired <laughs> by that choice unlike um forgive me i'm about to compliment star wars here worse i'm going to compliment star wars the last jedi uh, <laughs> but the most impactful thing i think i've ever seen in a star wars film ever was the scene spoilers is the scene where oh what's her name <laughs> purple hair she warps speeds <laughs> she warp speeds a ship through the star destroyer the, the silence and, yeah 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 that was right and badass. that's a very memorable moment and the and the dynamic range is mm-hmm. that the sound cuts out completely during this very like yeah. loud visual moment and then comes back in, and that's a that was a beautiful use of dynamic range. And I want as much dynamic range for that moment mm-hmm. as possible. But like the fight scenes, go f yourself. Like, sorry, like you're just making some dumb Netflix special. Like, please, 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 do not make yeah. my casual
2: viewing uncomfortable. Right. Like, I, I get them wanting to make the fighting louder because fighting is louder than talking. Ah, um, ah. But like, it should be like margin in my opinion which i think is right it should be marginally louder yeah, not 700 like, percent not like ear bleeding yeah. louder
0: <laughs> yeah because the because the conversation and, and, and tony it's interesting hearing you talk about you know these like the like put it like uh, i, I want to say too many things at once that putting the tools in the hands <laughs> of the de, of the designer or the audience my my answer is always going to be like it has to be both. Like the audience can never just say like you should perfect it to me, uh, because that's impossible. Like every single viewer or I'm pretty sure like, I just audience said that. Member. Stop it! <laughs> 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 every audience member has a different like system, uh, so they so a designer literally can't balance for all of them. But I do think there's a responsibility by the designer to balance for as many of them as possible. Like they can't just crank it up like really loud for people with speakers and then it's really low for uh and then it's like normal for people who just have bad speakers that don't play very loud like that's probably a good experience for them but the no no designer should try and appease that audience like they they really need to aim for something roughly close to average and then play with any extremes of it above or below uh using just creativity i think that's probably this the simplest description of a way to handle it
1: and on this point, I really want to bring up again uh, another reason I'm excited for PS5.
0: <laughs> sure, 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 sure. <laughs> they
1: they're supposedly going to have a much smarter sound system that's going to dynamically adapt to your sound setup and make and compensate for these kind of choices because you have choices the viewer's going to make and you have choices the designer makes and playstation has actually taken it upon themselves to try to be a more responsible bridge between the two and say how can we use our tools and how can we make our machine you know, our delivery device more intelligent yeah. and, you know, try to serve the needs, these sometimes opposing needs of these parties even better. So just like, just a quick thing. Like it's the the sound on the PS5 is very interesting. Go
0: back to listen to episode right. whatever in the show notes where we talked about it. <laughs> in the announcement for the PlayStation 5, there is, Uh, Was a lot of time devoted to talking about the technology uh, that they're implementing to improve the sound quality. Uh, Specific, I think that's why uh, I I shouldn't say anything in in detail, but I think that part of it is why they're including the headphones with it. They're doing, never mind, cut all this because they're doing some crazy nonsense with like headphones and spatial. Tony, take the wheel. I don't. (laughs) You know what I'm talking so about. So they're they're <laughs> developing technology to come up with
1: um, a unique or, or not a unique, but like a set of head um, what are they called? Head related transfer functions, I believe. Uh, for sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> because so the the really quick version of this to summarize is like everyone has different shaped ears, and so everybody um, reflects. 3D audio around them in the real world right. into their eardrum differently based right. on the unique shape of their ear. And um, you can graph this, like basically what your signal attenuations at different frequency ranges have to be to properly locate sound. And it's different for everyone. So they were doing studies and developing the console of like um, taking particular people's. Ear shapes.
0: I got to look it up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, like their ear shapes making these graphs, uh, creating real, like truly real 3D audio to that particular person. And what they're trying to do is either the last I heard, they were trying to develop a tool where it could use machine learning to automatically create a a transfer function profile for each particular person based on say, like taking a picture or video of your ear with your smartphone and then having yeah. it analyze it and do that. Yep. Um, Literally. Yeah. That, yeah. But if that doesn't work out, then at least they're going to have like a series of presets that are going to be like averages along the range of like, you know, cause like there, there is a pretty standard distribution of uh, how, how, like like different different uh profiles that people can have. And so again like giving preference yeah. you know um and then and then they would develop like say like a like a little game or something you can play through and be like what's better A or B and then like go through and then like this there'll be a little piece of software that'll match you to the closest
0: one to what your actual ear profile is. There is a um <clears throat> I posted this uh, in our personal show notes, but I think I also posted this in our Discord. Uh, Mark Rosewater, who's the head uh, designer of Magic the Gathering, uh, talks a lot about design and like the process of it and creativity. And uh, one of the things that he did is he gave a speech at the GDC, Game Developers Conference. I think that's it. Um uh, in his speech, in his talk, whatever, um, he, ba- he basically listed out 20 points, 20 lessons that he learned about game design from his experience as a game designer for Magic the Gathering over, like, I think, I think it was t- Magic's 20-year anniversary. So that's why he did it. Like, 20 lessons in 20 years. That's probably what he called it. Um, he likes catchy titles. Um, the one, sure. one lesson, all, all of them are interesting in their own way. But one that I come back to constantly, uh, and I'm trying to find, yeah, the, the specific wording from Mark Rosewater is, lesson number eight, the details are where the players fall in love with your game. And I think in some ways, this is a similar thing to what Neil Druckmann has championed which is he he wants people to love his game or hate his game what he doesn't want is people to be ambivalent and i'm sort and i'm connecting these ideas because it's it's in the small detail if if it's in the small details that you fall in love with the game like why is that and i'm thinking back to um papers please which is an excellent uh, puzzle game with an excellent story. Brilliant game. It's, it's, it, re- it really is. It's an excellent, excellent game uh, for a lot of reasons. Like talking about telling a story through uh, game design. Um, but one of the most memorable things about that game, and if you've played it before, you know him too. Tony, you know him as much as I do. It's Georgie. Everyone loves Georgie from that game. Who's Georgie? He's this recurring character who, like, the puzzle game is whether or not you should allow someone through the checkpoint into this made-up country. That is the puzzle game of Papers, please, is that you're running a checkpoint for a uh, a border, and these people want to come in, and are they allowed to come in with their papers? So every so every time someone walks up to the counter, you say papers, please. And then then you do the whole thing. And Georgie, he keeps coming in with like hands drawn passports. And he's like, "Oh, you don't like that one? All right, I'll come back with a better one." And then he comes back again with like a passport with like the picture of someone else on it. And he's like, "Okay, okay, I do, I do better next time." And he runs and he comes back. And then the last time you see Georgie in the game, he has a real passport and he has all his paperwork sorted out. And you finally let him into the country, and it's such a glorious moment. Now. <clears throat> You let hundreds of people, like faceless people, like all, all these people into the game. But Georgie, Georgie I remember. Partially because he comes up a couple of times, but he's still a very small part of the game. But it, it's that's, the, that's what Mark Rosewater means when he says it's the details that make you fall in love with that game. And if you add those details as a developer, if you add those details as a designer... You have an opportunity for your game to be beloved. Or there might be a detail that someone hates, like someone, like even in Pokemon, like Pokemon has this, like, who's your first starter, Dan? Uh,
2: in which generation?
0: Uh, Gen one, obviously. <laughs>
2: uh, pro- it depends on how much of a challenge oh I want, honestly. We're just supposed to pick a Pokemon, um, but. <laughs> but Sorry. Save it, it for the it, show. If, if I were to choose right now, I'd go with
0: Charmander. <laughs> See, Char, see Charmander's dumb. You're supposed to pick Squirtle. Squirtle's the best <laughs> choice. No, I want,
2: I want more of a challenge, and the way to make that happen is to make the first couple of gyms harder. Because after that, you you have too much variation but, in the team, and you can is, beat anybody.
0: But this is exactly the point like some people love charmander and then so some people hate charmander and then you try and say no charmander's the best like you have this banter that's it's a, it's it's tribalistic which is why it's uh kind of unfavorable and uh, why why like that's the that's a bad road this can go down but if you're encouraging that kind of conversation or banter like you're encouraging like emotion and ultimately like passionate conversation and these are the things that can really s- um, make you stand out in your design um, which is i'm not going to say the start the new star wars trilogy was bad on purpose but i am going to say those movies were very successful and there will be more because of it no matter how many people wrote ba- damaging articles about them like the, like this is exactly the point <laughs> it all depends on how you define success bad publicity is good publicity like <laughs> it keeps coming back to this i
2: mean in in America success is money i guess well that's
0: so, that's one determinant of money. success absolutely no argument there what were we talking about in details development oh, details. and polish in video games All right the, <laughs> right so the playstation 5 that's right now we're back okay we did it um <clears throat> putting that kind of effort into the playstation 5 is a detail that you know it's it's not going to be noticed by Probably the average person, let's say, like the kind of effort they need to put into is v- incredible. And the thought processes are fascinating. But like we're, we're, we're a very niche podcast in this way where we do care about these details and these things do interest us. But the majority of people will probably miss this. But for those that don't, for those that appreciate it, like that's how you build a loyal fan base that buy the playstation 5 and 6 and 7 like that's how you do that and so long as you have people that are willing to like stand up for you and come back to it and like you know and and love your game or product or media or whatever you're putting out like that's how you build a foundation of success and you know there's there might be balance but xbox one x series whatever it's called the new x rectangle (laughs) it might be more popular than the playstation 5 i don't think it will but it might be but it doesn't matter like the playstation 5 will still be successful because it's created that foundation not just but like just by really leaning into those details and maybe there's also better first-party games. Uh, well, obviously. But maybe there's choices they can make that would make the game more financial... May, there's probably choices Sony could make that would make the PlayStation 5 more financially successful now, but at the cost of that long-term commitment they can build into. And that's why the, that detailed work is so important.
1: Can I regurgitate an Alana Pierce video quickly?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so long as you clean up afterwards, that's fine. <laughs> She
1: put out an amazing video recently that made me think about uh, the next generation of consoles completely differently, Mm -hmm. Um, which, you know, of course is going to be linked in the show notes. Uh, Basically, it was called something like The Console Wars Don't Exist or something like that. Okay. And she was laying out the differences in the strategy between, um, between the three big companies, uh, you know, we've we've all known for a while that Nintendo is kind of like off doing their own thing separate from Sony and Microsoft <laughs> and it, you know like I, it, like I think most people can agree that they're stronger for it. Sure, but a lo- but a lot of people are still considering um, PlayStation and Xbox competing in the same space. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the facts of what's happening now, they they truly aren't. Um, it's becoming increasingly obvious that as we go into the next gen, like a lot of tech companies, what Microsoft cares more and more about is services revenue, and what Microsoft really wants you to do is buy Game Pass, and yep. they're putting a ton of investment into Game Pass, and they want you to be a reoccurring subscriber. And they, it's obvious they're caring less and less and less about the old model of you buy our console and you buy the games for the console and you buy the third party titles for our console because it's in our living room. You know, it's like it's it's just. It's honestly becoming clear that like, you know, and like the lack of exclusives, I think, is is a big uh, indicator here. You know, like the big one, Halo got got delayed, and I know there's reasons for that, but like it might not launch with the console, and like just but that, but that doesn't tank them at all. Is the point also? No, it doesn't, because if you look at if you're just comparing the strength of the exclusives between Xbox and PlayStation these days, PlayStation isn't is so obviously the winner. That it's like, why would anyone consider buying an Xbox? Well, there's a there are some exclusives that people care about, but there aren't as many. Um, but B, if you have a PC and you're on Game Pass, and you can play the same games on your TV and on your PC, and like that whole systems integration and investment in their service is what they're mainly interested in. So like in that way, Xbox is further differentiating itself from Sony. And, uh, which which I think is a really great thing because I think more diversity and more choice in how people can engage with game medias is ultimately a good thing. Um, and more financial structures of how people can invest in, uh, gaming is also a good thing. Like this is, I think this is all good for the consumer. Um, but for that, for that reason, it got me thinking very differently that, oh, Xbox is now diverging and Kind of like Nintendo, like really carving out a different way to do gaming, which really flipped my brain.
0: <laughs> there is a philosophical sort of difference here. And maybe I'm just, <laughs> to take a word from Mike Bithel, maybe I'm trying to be too pretentious. But there, when I heard you discussing that, it makes a lot of sense. But also what I heard was you're combining your TV... And your computers, uh, like, what their job and what they do. It's like, and that sounds like you're making it easier and it's more, like, interactable. But we had a conversation just in our last episode about how important it is to separate the jobs of your TV and of your computer. Assuming the computer is, like, you know, f- uh, a work environment. And the fact that Windows offers that is probably very convenient that you can switch back and forth so easily. But it's also probably important, especially for you two, that PlayStation separates these and makes it unable to interact with them at least easily. And that separation is part of the selling point of PlayStation. Mm -hmm. So it's... It really isn't that one is better than the other, but there are just these underlying philosophical differences that one will always be better for one type of audience, and vice versa. Yeah, Mac users love PlayStation. I mean, we got yeah. we, we got <laughs> we got
1: a public we got a public admission of that when I forget if it was last year or two years ago. Whenever Apple added um, support for PlayStation and Xbox controllers um to all of the iOS devices and the TVOS devices like they finally like worked with these other like Apple finally worked with Sony and Microsoft and like got the drivers and like you know put them in the OS and got them installed and they announced this on stage and they announced uh, I, I think what they said first was uh, like, you know, now we're adding support for Xbox controllers. And I was like, Yay. Mm-hmm. And for PlayStation 4 controllers, and the crowd was like, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like like this crowd, this self-selecting crowd of right, Apple exactly. fans, like
0: clearly were way more excited about the uh, about the PlayStation controller. Hence they knew, <laughs> and it sounds like Apple knew that too, based on the way they presented it.
1: And like they and like some of the executives were asked after the show, like like, uh, like, like about that, like, oh, there was, there was clearly this difference in the audience reaction. And then, you know, whoever the executive was had to give this PR answer, like, we love all of our partners or something like that. <laughs> like, we love all our children. <laughs> We're very grateful to have
0: everyone who's worked with us in order to make these things to be public. Senator. Right. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Because, yeah, because they're different tools, because I, you know, I don't, I'm not, I'm primarily a Mac user, so I don't, I don't get value out of that integration. If I was primarily a PC user, or if I just had a second gaming PC, then, like... I probably would get a lot of value out of that integration. So, like, it's just adding... If you're already a PC gamer, it's adding convenience in that you can play these games on your TV without having to have a second computer plugged into your TV.
0: Yeah, that makes so much sense to me. And it does... And I'm glad you brought this up because it does recontextualize the phrase console wars. Because, like, it's it's almost bold take here but console wars is probably strictly like a media term and they have never existed and they don't exist but they're just a thing that gets people really energized and really excited but there's no war here it's like it's like all the all the community all the people all the population are yelling about console wars and how good and how bad it is but like the two warring bodies playstation and xbox are like what what are they doing? Like why why are people rioting? Why do they think we're fighting? This is you're so like we have no conflict with each other. Or they started the whole thing and it's and it
2: and it's a conspiracy. I think for I'm not going to say for all people because there there are some wildly <laughs> stupid people out there. Um but like I think for for the large majority of people I think they realize that though. To, and mm. and again sorry to use another education example <laughs> but I this this reminds me of like the type of thing that that I've done and I see I've seen other teachers do with their classes where it's like, oh you know class a just so you know class b really had an amazing lesson earlier this morning let's see how (laughs) you guys can do like we're all on the same side here we all want to have a good lesson (laughs) but like you sort of pit them against each other like there was a time where like i had a a quote-unquote game going on with with my i taught four classes and i had um it was uh uh i think i think i had like their their class averages like up on the board or something and wow. like, i would they were they were like velcro there so i could move them around as classes took different places um and <laughs> like all that did was make kids want to get higher grades like there there was no oh, war God. happening <laughs>
0: this is awful
2: <laughs> but like i think it's the same thing with these like console wars like i yeah. think th- there are for sure some people out there who are like no this is wrong like xbox is the best and screw every other system and like blah 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 blah. but i think the i think really what it comes down to is that people want to feel like they're a part of a group and also like they it's fun to be like my group is better sports
1: like Like that's it's uh, yeah it's sports it's it's that's what it is it's It's sports sports, you know like everybody who's watched sports everybody who's watching baseball is a fan of baseball but not everyone watching baseball is a fan of you know the particular team of baseball
0: like it's kind of like real talk for a (laughs) second this is exactly why i stopped watching baseball I, i and literally wow it's literally. Sounds like the you're day. not a fan. No, dude. <laughs> ser- Fucking seriously. It was literally the day <laughs> I'm on Facebook and I see s- someone I know who I went to school with who's a Yankees fan and I'm a Mets fan and they posted some shit. Oh, about no. the Mets and being sucky. <laughs> and I was like, no, the Mets are good for this reason. It's the Yankees that are bad for this reason. And they're like, no, <laughs> you're stupid because the Mets only won two World Series. And I was like, no, you're stupid because you like only teams that win and you don't care about anything. And then <laughs> and then I looked at this conversation. How dare you like the team that wins? <laughs> <laughs> I literally looked at this conversation and I and I realized in a moment that I just, like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, what, why, why am I talking to this person? Why do I care? What is going on? Like, I had this whole, like, out of body experience looking at this conversation <laughs> and just, like, this is stupid. I'm stupid. I am an idiot. And then that ruined all passion for baseball for me and I just I can't get back into it except and I'll we should save it for the show but I do love amateur baseball. Amateur baseball is so exciting because I went to a game where it was all a bunch of people I'd never heard of and one person I had heard of who was in the majors but they were really bad at it. So that's why they're in the amateur league. And I knew that I was totally sold that I loved this experience, when the batter hits a fly ball towards left field, and left fielder way back, he's running back to it. And if I was watching a major league game, I would know as soon as the ball left the bat, he'd be like, "Oh, he's all right. Left fielder's going to catch it. It's going to be fine." But I see the left fielder going for. It, he's like, "Is he?" He might not catch this. Like, he might just kind of suck. Like, like it's not a sure thing anymore. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I was, like, excited to find out whether or not he was going to catch the ball. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm totally sold for amateur baseball. Professional baseball can suck it. But I love amateur baseball.
2: <laughs> Save that for the show. For anybody, for any listeners who are not currently in our Discord, or not like, who are not part of our Discord, you should join it, because I'm about to post a meme
0: related to <laughs> dis- this discussion. Discord memes on the show. <laughs>
1: Alex, I remember you describing this to me, and I feel... I think the exact same way that it's literally mm. it's literally more drama. It's literally more intrigue and interest yeah. if you <laughs> if you don't already know how it's going to turn out. Yeah, I mean because at at the highest level, like in in the majors, they wouldn't get there if there was uh, a, a decent chance that they were going to miss. If There the was catch. any doubt, yeah, yeah. If there was any doubt, they wouldn't be invested in by millions and millions of dollars. So like yeah
0: i i i I totally agree and it's a shame because i do i do like the idea of you know this is why the olympics are popular because we get to see every few years like the height of like human performance and competition and this is supposed to be the draw of it and professional supports are branded as this i think maybe but like I don't know. Professional sports don't really say that we are the top in the world. Like, maybe they'll say that casually, but that's not how they brand themselves. They brand themselves on, like, the rivalries and the logos. Like, that's the thing that actually gets people coming back. I would like professional sports if I really thought it was a competition between the best in the world. And I don't. (laughs) I just, I I like this. Man, oh, God, I want to save it for the baseball Talk. We can just have the baseball. Just have th- the baseball talk. I think this is the baseball talk. We're already one my, there. <laughs> one of my favorite players of all time was a player named uh, Jeff Kerr. and he was on the Atlanta Braves. And he was a hot shot rookie. He like made Sports Illustrated covers. Um, he had a, a standout rookie season. Unbelievable. Over the next few years. It turned out that he was actually terrible at baseball. Like he either got really lucky, or just no one, no pitcher like had never seen him before, so they didn't know like what his weakness was. So I guess like he had a very obvious weakness, and yeah, I think that's what it is. Like he just couldn't hit a curveball or something. So as soon as pitchers figured that out, it's just all of his numbers tanked for years on end, forever, and he became a terrible offensive uh, baseball player. Fast forward, uh, he went to the Mets because he's a terrible player. He goes to the Mets, so we get Jeff Francoeur in a trade. Uh, I, I say we still to I, I was going to comment on that. No, I'm I glad know, he got I know. there first. We'll put a pin in that too. Um, the Mets acquired him for Ryan Church, who I also loved, but that, he doesn't need a pin. He's not that important. His number is nineteen, though. You can look that up. Um, Jeff Francoeur goes to the Mets, and I so I finally get a chance to watch him regularly. And one of the things I didn't. I'll know about him is that he's actually the best defensive right fielder in the game i had no idea like apparently he's just a defensive wizard which is quick tony find defensive right fielder <laughs> he, he he plays in the field it's on defense it's Not you know the details aren't important usually usually in play. the right like from yeah. the audience's perspective it's the right <laughs> side of the field right stage That's... left at stage left left, actually stage 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 left left. (laughs) oh stage left got it (laughs) audience right stage left anyway (laughs) jeff rancor is a great defensive player but one of the things that he does actually better than any player ever is his throwing arm his throwing arm from the outfield he throws the ball low he throws it accurately and he throws it fast like it's amazing to watch him do it and now that he's on the Mets, now I get to see him play, and the runner, or the batter, rather, the batter hits a uh, normal, uh, a normal, gets a normal hit. Like, it goes over the infielders and goes in between the infield and the outfield and lands. And usually that means it lands, they get a hit, they go to first base. But Jeff Francoeur is <laughs> such a beast that the ball lazily went towards Jeff Francoeur. The runner runs to first like you do a hundred thousand times out of a hundred thousand and one. You make it to first. But Jeff Francoeur, he picks, he runs to the ball, he grabs the ball and like a fucking rocket launches it to first base. And he gets the ball to first base before the runner gets there, which means he's out and he does not get the hit. And I saw that and I must have done a double take cuz I had never seen that in my entire like history of watching baseball which at the point was probably only like 5 years but in 5 years I had never seen a runner <laughs> get thrown out at first on just a regular single, on a regular hit like that. And I was so enamored with it. Like, I'm still talking about it to this day on a video game podcast. I was so enamored with it. <laughs> and Jeff Francoeur immediately becomes one of my favorite players ever. And I and I wanted to say, I actually got really mad. I got, I got emotional because I cared about baseball at this time. I got really emotional when the Mets got rid of Jeff Francoeur, And they got rid of him because he's a bad batter. And I was like, you know what? As a defensive player, he's got to be offering more value to the Mets with his defensive like wizardry. And, like, yeah, he's mostly a crappy batter, but, like, you replace him with just another crappy batter who's also average on defense. Like, how is this a good choice? How are we getting rid of him? Like, he's only he's only bad because it's a meme that Jeff Francor is bad now. Like, he was the really popular guy that became really bad, and now he's a meme in baseball. Like, oh, Jeff Francor, what's that guy? He's like, I, I, I really thought the Mets should have held on to him just to... For his defense, because I thought he was amazing, I had a lot of opinions about what the Mets should have done. I was an I was an armchair <laughs> general manager, is the phrase people use in in the industry, if you will. that, that uh, is quite a title. Oh, dude, I love I loved being an armchair GM. Oh man, I I wrote for baseball websites, dude. I wrote for Dugout Central, um, before Dugout Central, not Dugout Central. I know Dugout Central, uh, before Dugout Central got eaten up by MLB trade rumors, which is the actual very popular website. the mlb trade and then i think mlb trade rumors got eaten up by baseball reference (laughs) um and i i stopped writing (laughs) uh before any of those transitions (laughs) happened but i was with like the original dugout central like writing staff um as like a Sixteen-year-old or something. It was really random. Like they they reached out to me because I kept writing comments on all of their articles, and, and, then, and then they. I have a link. I, I I'll, I'll find the link. I need to find the link. Um, but my my the one of the most popular baseball websites is a. Uh, a site called MetsBlog.com that I don't think exists anymore. It was one of the most popular. Um, but it was like, it was one of the first blogs about a sport. And it just coincidentally happened to be about the Mets. But apparently, blogs and sports work really well together. So that one was like at the top of the list for a long time. And I got my name on their blog just because I was a writer for Dugout Central. And I have that link somewhere. I'll find that for you. Uh, but my, but <laughs> whatever. Like, I, w- I was just writing comments in all of their articles, and they reached out to me and said, "Hey, we've we've noticed you <laughs> we've noticed you've been very vocal on our website. Uh, if you think you can do better, we'll have." feel free to contribute something. So I (laughs) sent them something immediately and they posted it to the website. And then all of a sudden, I'm on their like email chain to all their writers. Like, well, I guess this is what I'm doing now. I didn't get paid. I should be clear. This is not something I got paid for. (laughs) But it was a lot of fun.
1: (laughs) So you have this long and storied relationship with baseball. I do. Oh, my God. That goes back to when you were young. But unfortunately, as you got older, you suddenly got smacked with this realization that uh everything's meaningless like
0: <laughs> yeah you know when you grow up and <laughs> life is life meaningless. all meaning. yeah that's kind of what happens <laughs> it's kind of a metaphor for
2: that i i mean it's, it's read, read some niche and every, all of a sudden everything's <laughs> well, done
0: but it's basically what we were talking about where yeah i got kind of you know wrapped up in the whirlpool of emotionally driven rivalries and um, you know, it was very popular to hate the Mets owners. It's still popular to hate the Mets owners. Uh, Jeff Wilpon, no offense. He owns New York Excelsior, by the way, the Overwatch team, but at- uh, it's not very, I don't know how much help that's doing him. Save um, that for the show. <laughs> yes. It was popular to hate the general manager at the time, Omar Minaya. Um He got replaced with Anderson something, who seemed like a really chill guy. Mr. Uh, Anderson. But I don't remember his name. Uh, it's been a while. I don't think he's the GM anymore. But anyway, um, yeah, I basically just got wrapped up in the tribalistic rivalry conversation and all the emotionally engaging stuff. Um, and then one day I realized that I was being stupid and I stopped being stupid. And then when I stopped being stupid, I also lost all passion for baseball. And then I realized I wasn't passionate anymore, but I was smart and I felt really <laughs> like bad about that on the other side of the rainbow, but I don't regret it. Cause that's not helpful, but like, man, it would be nice to be passionate about things anymore. I don't know. What do you guys think of this? <laughs>
2: I mean, I can, I can definitely understand what you're saying. I think I reached that a bit earlier in my life as in like i don't know if i ever had that (laughs) fair (laughs) like i i never really enjoyed watching sports um you know i think i've mentioned on the podcast even where like the only sport i ever got into even i shouldn't say the only sport i ever got into playing but the only sport that i seriously really got into playing was tennis and that was because it wasn't a team sport i liked playing singles right 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 um so so like yeah, I, I never got that, like, tribalistic view. I was never, like, even outside of sports, like, I never got, like, the America, we're number one, like, I was like okay, we're not, I mean, objectively, but, like, I, 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 all of this stuff never made sense to me. So I can definitely understand what you're saying. Um, I, I don't think that means you can't be passionate about things, but. I definitely have not experienced passion for like a team like you can be i feel like you you have to find passion in things that like you are good at okay. i've never i' i don't i don't understand like passion for for like like you know you mentioned we got this player. I'm like no,
0: you know you didn't um they got the they got the player but, but but they made me feel like I was a part of it, so I was able to like kind of fake being. Uh, like good at it yeah and then like kind of get passion from that anyway
2: yeah and i never really got that and like i was around it forever like my mom was a phys ed teacher like she's very into sports um so like it's not due to lack of exposure like i but i remember from a young age watching her like yell at the, yelling at the screen and just thinking like they they can't hear you
0: <laughs> like what, what are you doing <laughs> that's what passion does to a person it makes you insane <laughs> <laughs> i
1: similarly never had the passion for sports teams again not for lack of exposure like i was you know I, I i played some sports as a kid and i was uh i was taken to baseball games and things like that but um it just for whatever reason you know like i i don't really know why i like never developed an interest in it i think i think it's just something like i keep thinking of something that cgp gray has said which is that like there's no explaining human interest like it's just (laughs) yeah like a lot of it is uh, like there's some nature there's some nurture but like all of it is arbitrary and it's (laughs) you know this is why like we can't come to definitive um you know conclusions when preferences are involved or anything like that and and similarly with like arbitrary allegiances like this um the closest thing that I can say that you know, like I've had for a while, and even like carried into my adult life, is, um, like sort of maybe allegiances or fandom, or I don't know how you would describe it for particular technology companies. So like, you know, Apple <laughs> and Sony, uh, mm-hmm. are are definitely up mm-hmm. there, and like, and 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 like, you know, Apple is the. They, they, they make all the computers that I use or that I prefer to use. And it's really because and it's because of the product. it's because their product aligns with, well, it's two things. It's that is that the decisions that they make in the product are much more aligned with my own uh, aesthetic and functional preferences. But also, I find that I tend to personally align more with people that are also aligned with this thing. So I listen to mm-hmm. podcasts about technology and Apple products and things like that. And because the, because these people have, uh, you know, thoughts that I can get behind and have me think about these things in, in new and different and in interesting ways. And I find that entertaining. So there's like, there's an odd sense of community in it too. Like, it's sort of in the sense of watching a sport, you're not literally on the team but you can connect with other people that are a fan of the thing itself, you know. Sony also like it's not just for me; it's not just PlayStation. Uh, everything in my living room is Sony: my TV, mm-hmm. my Blu-ray player, um, you know, like all of my like speakers, headphones. Actually, not all my headphones, but like uh, like like almost all of my entertainment stuff is is Sony products as well because I. You know, I, 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 I like the way that they do things. So I guess that that's like, you know, that's my closest thing to a sports allegiance, I guess. And <laughs> Yeah, I feel like that's
2: slightly different, though, because, you know, like, Alex, you were mentioning before how, like, people will argue and fight over these teams right like, but I don't the Mets do that. suck and yeah. like right like like I'm for sure like if you ask me which one I like better Apple or, or Microsoft I'm gonna say Apple like that's not a question that's just like that's everything is Apple for me but like I'm not gonna fight somebody who thinks Windows is better um, like that's uh, it's a personal preference that's fine and I and I will say I was thinking after I after the last little bit like there there have been moments in sports despite the fact that i don't like sports really um there have been moments in sports that have gotten me excited still um like when i see somebody pull off a particularly complicated feat or do something really interesting like i can appreciate that and depending on the sport and depending on what it is and all those factors like you it can actually excite me um but not to the point of like you know i'm gonna argue like oh this team is better than that team or whatever i'm just gonna be like oh that was really cool love to see
0: it but like that's it it's base i it's uh, in order for me to respond to this truthfully it takes an admittance of uh on my part of the fact that i was an idiot (laughs) at the time it's like uh, and i and i have no problem admitting that because i think i've admitted it on this podcast before and i've certainly admitted it uh to people that i know um that i went through a transition in my life from being sort of this like carefree social butterfly emotionally driven person uh to someone who uh understood to finally understood and respected uh intellect is really all it comes down to like i don't (laughs) i never cared about my grades in school i never cared about uh people like i never needed people to think i was smart i kind of just always accepted that i wasn't smart which is you know, worse in a way, but also just, it was the reality of my life. Like my brothers, I had two older brothers growing up and I had an inferiority complex because they were both straight A students and I never was, I never had the motivation to get straight A's and I never questioned why it was just a reality. My dad does crossword puzzles every weekend, and he does the Sunday difficult one. And he's very smart. Uh, my oldest brother reads books and has bookshelves that he reads, and he knows big words. And <laughs> I didn't, and that made him smart and not me. but does he do the Saturday puzzles? <laughs> or whatever. The, I don't know what the those smart are the hard one ones. Was, <laughs> he did this. Whatever the smart one is, I thought it was Sunday. It's Saturday. Whatever. You don't have to prove nah, the, me wrong. The Sundays. I'm is having personal moments here, Tony. <laughs> 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 (laughs) 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 reasons why tony is not a therapist (laughs) (laughs) but but the point is i had this conversation with myself over a long period of time that was like i really did make a lot of decisions without thinking things through and what that means to me now is that i can i observe people and I can see and I and what I think I observe in people sometimes is that people still make a lot of decisions without actually thinking them through. And they make a lot of claims and say a lot of things mm-hmm. um, without any idea of like what their words actually mean, what consequences their words could have. Um, and and you know, honestly, I'm going to take this another step backwards and say this is exactly why I got so emotionally distraught over conversations of criticism of the last of us Two, and it's not that people were criticized the game i like but it's that people criticized this game in a way that i understood and had been through and i knew was wrong and i wanted to fix it and i just couldn't and i felt paralyzed and i wanted to do something about it because i want like like i get it i know why you're thinking this but please there is a Pot of gold on the other side, and it's not real gold, (laughs) but it's it's more real than the reality you're living in right now. So, like, just join me over here, and they just refuse to cross that line because tribalism and emotion and all of these problems Uh that um, plagued me for so long and still plague people of all ages. Like, I think there's a small correlation between like, you know, age and maturity and like gaining this type of intellect but sadly i think it's only a small correlation like it doesn't matter how old you are it's just when do you learn that you know thinking about your actions is an active thought process and that's not something i learned until honestly until i was probably like 22 years old Like, it's, like, it was years of transition, but, like, mm-hmm. there was no single turning point. But, you know, the closest thing to a single turning point was looking at that Facebook conversation and realize I just had a whole argument about something that I'm being a complete mm-hmm. putz about. Like, a complete idiot about. So...
2: Thank you for helping me pivot this podcast to a therapy slash education <laughs> the, podcast. The transition is um, complete. Because there's a cool <laughs> – no, because there, there is something, um, a, a phrase that teachers are pretty, pretty familiar with, socio-emotional okay. learning. Um, and it's something that most schools historically did not do um and even now don't most schools many schools do not um but it's something that a lot of people are trying to make more prevalent and it's basically that it's basically teaching more than content it's teaching how to how do emotions work how to right. deal with them and right. and and how to how to how to think in a way that like you how to think critically about things and the you know people say like kids are immature and at up to a certain point that's true like you know when they're two three years old they're gonna be immature fine um but like when you get to like the level that i teach like middle school people like i'd say i say i'm a middle school teacher and people like oh my god how do you deal with middle schoolers they're so ridiculous and immature and crazy and i'm like well yeah the middle schoolers are weird like by definition that's fine (laughs) um but like they're not all immature um like there are some that are incredibly mature more mature than you fictional person who's telling you that all middle schoolers are immature um and there are some that like as soon as you start teaching them how to be mature yeah they they do it like it's 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 not a matter of like young young preteens and teenagers are immature it's that most of them have not been taught how to be mature and that's i think that's something that has done a massive disservice to our entire society Mm -hmm. um like there, you know i feel like every time i've reached the limit of how ignorant somebody can be on the internet i find somebody 10 steps ahead of that person or behind however you want to look at it um but like you know i that's something that i work on with my students is like you're angry and that's fine but let's examine why you're angry and what led to the steps and what we can do differently next time like and that's something that i think can only help uh get people to the point that you reached a little sooner i think Sure.
1: and to give you alex as much credit i think as i can possibly give you when you were describing that whole thing about like <sighs> seeing the last of us two reviews and being on the other side and you know like just like, like wishing that people had faith and would follow you through and, and they ultimately didn't. Like, that was exactly the position I was <laughs> in with you with the first game all those years ago. And the biggest credit that I can give you is that you did have faith and you did follow it through. And
0: I think that you really learned something from it, right? Like, it's. Mm-hmm. A, I think it's a good example it's it's interesting because i i think about i think about this a lot like a lot of this is why I brought up The Last of Us 2. If you if you listen to me talk ever, I mean ever, like oh watch the stream, listen <laughs> like to like for a example podcast, on a podcast, literally just listen to me do, watch me do anything and everything I do, you will see that there is an underlying theme of how I care so much about managing like people's emotions and constantly like striving for like intellectual maturity. Like there's a constant uh, attempt to learn, but also like uh, empathy and trying to understand where people are coming from. And these things like come to a head with conversations like The Last of Us 2, where all of a sudden there's a bunch of people yelling loud emotional and wrong opinions like absolutely wrong opinions (laughs) and I just I and I want to like reach out and like take their hand and say I get it I know I understand but there's another there's one step you can take here. All you have to do is take it. And then when you look at that step you just took from in front of it, you'll realize one how easy that step was and also how important that step was. And like that's what I'm constantly trying to do all the time. So why'd I say that? Tony, you brought up the original Last of Us, and that comes at an interesting time, because the original Last of, uh, Last of Us came out in 2013? Around then, yeah. Yeah. Um, this is, I... We probably played it in 2014, but like around there. Right, right. I. What did I say? I said I probably made this transition at 22. Like, again, this is years of time. Um, I was... 22 in 2013. So I'm probably at like the peak of like trying to be an emotionally responsible person. Like and being bad at it too. Like <laughs> I'm at the peak of being aware and like having no idea how to do it. Um and the last of us would have been one of the more interesting like kind of channels that I could communicate these ideas. Because it's a game that, and I remember my opinions at the time, like I was immediately invested. The beginning of the game made me feel very emotional. And I liked that. Like I still try and hold on to things that I can feel passionate about. And I felt very strongly about the beginning of the game. And then I got really bored for hours. (laughs) And then I ran into Firefly (laughs) fendants and I hated them. And it was all ridiculous. And once (laughs) I got past that, The ending of The Last of Us and the overall experience of like the gameplay was very positive for me. Um, Like you can talk about criticisms of the gameplay, but overall it did create an interesting experience and interesting like puzzles of like, how do I overcome this? Do I use melee? Do I sneak through? Like those were always uh, intellectually stimulating. And then also by the end of it, basically between the David boss fight through to the end of the game. Is all really great gameplay. It's all excellent storytelling. Excellent storytelling. And I'm really glad that I have experienced that now. But I never would have gotten to experience that if I judged the game for the first 15 minutes plus the next like two or three hours of boring gameplay. Or boring to me. Um, And... It's an, and, it's, and it's an important lesson for me to say, like, not to judge so quickly, like, to really give things time. And, Tony, I've had this conversation with you where it's like I'm kind of close-minded about games I'm willing to try. Like, I just – I really don't want to commit time into new games. Um, and finding the balance between, like, you know, choosing what game I want to play and also just, like – you know, having the maturity to say, all right, let's sit down, let's try this, and then formulate an opinion, you stupid head. Like, just like give it a chance before you can say anything. <laughs> like, I looked at Ghost of Tsushima and said, eh, I don't think I want to play that. And I said that on the podcast. And now I've watched uh, Tony, I've watched you play it on stream a bunch, and as I've learned about the game, it's like it's more and more becoming something that I'm interested in playing, and it's a good game. You should play it. Yeah, I, I look forward to playing it. I'm not going to play it this week. Spoiler alert: We're playing Sekiro. Uh, but Sekiro is another <laughs> example Ooh. of a game that, like, I looked at it, don't care about it, heard stuff about it, and it's like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it a chance now, and like, it, it's, it's, it's an important step. It's, it's a discipline. That's the word. It's a discipline to say like, eh, I don't really feel like doing this, but I'm gonna do it anyway because there a chance. There's a chance. I might like it, or it might be good for me, and just because there's a chance I'll hate it and it'll, or it'll be bad, doesn't mean it's still not worth doing. That's like that's a discipline that you learn through maturity.
1: Yeah, or my mantra: I'll try anything that, twice. Oh, man, you are.
2: <laughs> yep. Um. Yeah. No, that's exactly it, and I'm I'm trying so hard not to go back to education right now, but, Um. You... <laughs> how we? How dare you? <laughs> no, because so. <laughs> the i think about the words discipline and maturity a lot mm-hmm. because my school has five values Ooh. that we call them and Ooh. those are two wait of them. wait um, discipline
0: maturity and i don't know hard work nope he said five uh, um not so making, what is hard not making fun <laughs> of people it's not
2: five um <laughs> well not not in those words but is another one
0: ah, I could have guessed that.
2: And, uh, Tony, for OPSEC reasons, I'm going to have you bleep out probably three of these, if that's all right. <laughs> um, because you can very easily find my school by Googling these values. <laughs> Perfect. Um, but it's uh, discipline... <laughs> ...maturity. Um, they're so I think about these a lot, and and if you could bleep out the word that one as well also the the the, <laughs> we, the, 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 the we what probably it spells should cut all of this out yeah we so. might just need to cut it i don't know but so what- <laughs> um but i think about those words a lot because they are they're uh very prevalent in my school and they're something that we try and instill in our students um and the one of the things that i've struggled with since i started working there is like t- you know to instill these things in our students i have to be able to define them well um and especially maturity was very challenging for me to come up and still I don't know if I have a great Mm -hmm. definition Mm -hmm. for it um and I can't if if I can't explain it I can't teach Mm it um that's just what it comes down to and if I don't have a good definition I can't assess it like how do how do I tell if this person is mature when I don't really know what maturity means um it's 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 really hard but um so the the basically what I've come up with its working definition is that maturity is the combination of the other four values um but discipline in general i've used the exact example that you used which is basically it's the ability to to look at a task and say i don't really feel like doing that but i'm gonna do it anyway like it's it's not fun but like Sometimes you just have to do that. Like, I had to get through grad yep. school somehow, and I did it by being disciplined and getting my work done. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to even go yep. to grad school. <laughs> I did it because New York State made me do it, otherwise I would have had to stop teaching. Um, and, but, but I think that's, I think that's important. and It's an important life skill to have in, in school work, but in, in other things as well, like you mentioned with trying things that you don't necessarily want to try. Like, the ability to look at something and say, that's not super interesting to me, but it might be valuable, so I'll try it anyway. I think that's important.
1: So that's why I keep trying to pry open your uh, preferences little by little. (laughs) My preferences
2: or Alex's?
1: (laughs) No, definitely mine.
0: (laughs) Um, it's, uh, It's interesting because, yeah... Yeah, discipline is the combination of the four. It's also... No, maturity is the combination. Oh, maturity. I'm sorry. Maturity Mm -hmm. is the combination. You said a lot of things in there, and I'm trying to parse them out. Yeah. Um, Maturity and discipline definitely uh, work hand-in-hand very much for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. And these are the... And those are... You mentioned that you think about those things a lot, and those are things that like basically I started thinking about a lot ever since I was started going through this thought process of like how to be a more emotionally mature and intellectually interested person. Um, and a lot of it and the value and it, and a lot of it was learning the value of these different things. Like the value of discipline <laughs> um, was about, challenging the things that i think i know which is important only if i know and believe that the things i think i know could be wrong (laughs) and you and that's the first step to discipline i
2: think is yeah and i think that comes with maturity is like exactly exactly. it's and, and and you know maybe i don't know if that's how i would judge it for my particular job but i do i do think i view it this way for like you know the purposes of like the internet and like daily life is like am I, when I when I'm trying to judge if somebody is mature, one of the first things I look at is how do they react when they're told they're wrong? Sure. Like if 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 they if they're incapable of taking criticism, if they are incapable of being told, no, that's not correct, and here's why, like, they're not mature. And like nobody nobody likes to be wrong. I'm not saying you have to seek that out, but like if if somebody tells me I'm wrong about something and is able to explain why, I'm not yep. gonna get upset. Yep. I might not agree with them, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get upset about it. I'm gonna be I'm either gonna be like, um, that's what you believe. Sorry, I don't think I am wrong. Or I'm gonna say, oh, sh- I was
0: wrong. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. And in <laughs> researching information regarding The Last of Us. I rewatched a sort of documentary on the making of the original Last of Us and I'm so glad I did because they brought up a point that I love which is one of the one of the things about the environment of working at Naughty Dog, which is the developer of the Last of Us series. They absolutely and universally within their walls have they have this running theme that anyone is allowed to criticize anyone's work at any point in time. And it's going to be okay because they all just have the understanding that it's not coming from a place of, like, emotional, like, immaturity or sophomoric Mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. Like, it's it's all coming from a place of productivity (laughs) and trying to make the best game possible for the audience. Like, that's their... I'm not going to say that that's their mission statement, but that's the much more important goal. And any criticism just comes from the point of view of that, like, you know what, this may or may not be good work, but, we, but it might not be towards the goal of what is best for the player or what is best for the game. And they can have a conversation with talking critically about each other's work without anyone getting emotional about it because that, kind of system those those those, that vision that mission statement is in place and everyone supports and gets behind and i think that's i think that's that's a really excellent way to instill productivity and i think it kind of calls back to like we've talked about like having these themes as well in your work where it kind of removes any emotional decision making and really turns it into okay how do i make this decision well which one uh, really enables my theme more and then bam that's how you make a decision and it makes mm-hmm. decisions easier too like I think like all of it kind of fits into place um, but humans are de- kind of designed poorly <laughs> and humans get emotional <laughs> and these systems are very difficult to put into place for that reason but if we can optimize our brains I dare say um, mm-hmm. in towards these goals then we can achieve like higher functions of productivity um in any endeavor like whether you're if you're writing a book and you know why you're writing a book and you need to decide to write a sentence and you ask yourself does this sentence further the goal of my overall theme then you have an answer as to whether or not write that sentence authors will at me forever about how that's such a dumb example, but my point is that that would be the advantage of having these kinds of visions and mission statements that I really love and comes with maturity and discipline. And you tried Breath of the Wild again recently. And I tried Breath of the Wild (laughs) (laughs) thinking of discipline. (laughs) In
1: in an attempt because you had thoughts and feelings about it and you wanted to reevaluate, which I thought
0: was another expression of maturity. It is, and in the simplest terms I love it's still garbage. <laughs> the Zelda franchise generally speaking or loves <laughs> I loved it when I was a, again an idiot once upon a time and now I have more mature thought processes <laughs> but since then uh, since then the only Zelda game I've actually really played I think is Breath of the Wild because they came out with Skyward Sword and I just skipped that entirely um, and then before that was Wind Waker did you and play I-
1: the other Switch one that was bad of course not. Well, there's What's a few other
0: Switch <laughs> ones. I think there's Hyrule Warriors, yeah. and there's Cadence of Hyrule, and there's Link's Awakening. Link's um, Awakening is the one I was thinking. We of. don't have to talk about any of those. They're not. Yeah. <laughs> I, I on, honestly, because I don't have an opinion. I have experience with all of them. Uh, we don't. We we don't need to get into it. It's not worth it. Okay. Um, to save it for the show. <laughs> um, <Yep. laughs> but my experience with Breath of the Wild is that I grew up loving Zelda. Then became a smart person then uh got a switch (laughs) then got zelda the same day i got a switch then i played breath of the wild uh then i put a hundred hours into breath of the wild and then i beat it and then my ultimate feelings were those of disappointment uh for numerous reasons uh and then at one game of the year and then i was angry at one game of the year and then i didn't care about Breath of the Wild for years. And then I, for some reason, started thinking about it again recently. And then I thought that maybe Breath of the Wild is probably better than I give it credit for because my memories are those of being disappointed and a lot of people do like it and I want to kind of like empathize with those opinions of people liking it Uh, because it didn't just win game of the year. I have lots of conversations with people who really say they love or who really enjoy Breath of the Wild so I wanted to empathize with that so I Mm -hmm. recontextualized it in my head of how I could like it and then I decided instead of thinking about it I should just play the god (laughs) game and then I played the god (laughs) game on stream, and I had mixed opinions, but I think I had interesting experiences that both validated opinions that I had already had, which is the game... Um, really pads its content with copy and pasted material, uh, which aren't just Korok seeds and shrines, even though those are a massive part of the game. Uh, but there's also a lot of really uh, poor writing and uninteresting dialogue with uninteresting villagers whose only unique trait between them is that they have uh, different first names. Um, but like, there's like a running theme <laughs> that shield surfing is really cool, and it's never an interesting like discovery. Um, so you'll find a hut, Uh, Find a random house, and it's not a Korok seed, and it's not a shrine. It's something completely different, which is exciting. But then it's just a dumb love story about shield surfing and how I love you because you're a good shield surfer. (laughs) And this is not the first time you talk about shield surfing in your stupid shield surfing game. And then you open a chest, and there's a stupid shield in there, which I already have five shields, so I don't need a sixth (laughs) one. So... What I'm saying is the He's rewards. He's such a great
1: blitzball player. He's so dry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the reward. <laughs> the <laughs> <laughs> speaking of games I haven't played since I was an intelligent person, uh, the rewards for exploring in Breath of the Wild are uh, not terribly uh, rewarding in my opinion unlike the rewards in uh, the last of us which or even earthbound actually is an even is another random example of the game rewards you with just interesting story details and I'll never forget there's like a desert in earthbound I think it's earthbound or mother I don't remember I need I know exactly who to ask, but he's not here right now. Please leave a message. Um, there's a, there's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an 8-bit game, so that all the environments are pixelated, and there's a desert, so it's like this sea of tan that you're walking around as Ness or whoever in, and there's a single pixel somewhere in the sands that's slightly off color, and you walk up to it, and you can talk to it, and it's a gnat like a gnat it's a literal gnat that says hi i've uh, my husband's wandered off and i can't find him can you please help me find my husband so you wander around the massively large desert for a long time and then you find another pixel that's slightly off color and you click on it and says oh i've wandered off and i've lost my wife can you help me come go back to my wife and then the pixel disappears from the map and then you walk all the way back to that first pixel and then you click on that and it <laughs> says thank you for reuniting me with my husband and now the two pixels are next to to each other and that's it you know you don't get an item you don't get any achievement it's not part of the story but it's like this side quest that's really cute and also a really creative way to use the limitations of the console at the time to tell this story um like i i, I always come back to that example because i find it infinitely fascinating as an example of creativity and storytelling and you know exploring the environment <gasps> So in Breath of the Wild, <laughs> oh my god. So in Breath of the Wild, those kinds of rewards are not as exciting because I just not in, I I don't think the stories are good. I if you like the stories then great, then it pays off for you. I just don't think I I find better stories from other games. Um, and then the last thing that I need to say is in order <laughs> to really talk about Breath of the Wild, you have to accept that the tutorial section is not very good. Everyone agrees. Everyone who loves the game says the tutorial section is not that good, and honestly, it's not that bad either. It's just not game of the year material. Um, and then the ending section of the game, like once you start fighting Ganon to the end of the game, and all the and the boss fights and cutscenes, it's all bad. Like, that's all really bad game design and (laughs) gameplay. And I've talked to people who love the game, and they don't remember it being bad. And then after talking to them, they come around on it because it's... The best part about it is the literal character model of the first form of Ganon because it's this really grotesque and interesting design, and it's kind of gruesome for an animated Nintendo Zelda game. Uh, but there's a problem in its design where Ganon has the laser um, that all of the bad guys use in the game. But the bad guys that use the laser are all originally a uh, Hylian technology, which are the good guys uh, that Ganondorf just like kind of mind controlled. But for it to be part of Ganon's design imply like it's like a part of him but it never came from him it came from the hylian so it actually doesn't make too much sense that he has this laser it's all it's not technology that he owns he just uh mind controls the hylian technology that does but like it's a part of his arm or something um so that never made sense to me and i've anyway that's such a small stupid detail but it <laughs> bothers me um not to mention that the f- actual final form of the boss fight and the second form of the boss fight are really really bad and the final cutscene is really really bad and there's no post-game content it just loads your save from before the boss fight so brother the wild is an okay game for like the middle section before the final boss and after the tutorial section but that's also, only if you can get past the repetitive uh, reward structure that also punishes you for exploring by dropping rain on you, which I've been told is just an outlet to be uh, for creative problem solving. But I really truly believe it's only an outlet for creative problem solving the first one, two, or maybe three times. But if you play the game for a hundred hours, you're gonna run into rain three times in a day, and it rains. F- constantly in that game and it stops being a creative outlet for problem solving for the next 99 hours of gameplay and I think for that amount of time the inability to climb during the rain is a really really bad mechanic and I'm very emotional about this because I've had to talk to numerous people who keep telling me it's an outlet for creative problem solving and I'm telling you it's not and I have not found evidence to the contrary that it is Okay, two things.
1: One, it <laughs> it seems like overall, especially I found it very interesting when you said you have to remind people that the beginning and end of this game aren't good. It mm-hmm. seems like overall, the people that like this game uh, really love exploring the world,
0: which um, is it is they, a beautiful world to explore. I do think that it's not good graphic anyway. Sure. Yeah. Okay. We'll come back to that. (laughs) We'll come back to that. Um, I I,
1: I can agree that exploring the world can be fun uh, and interesting and unique and provide a lot of unique and fun experiences. Um, So I feel like there's, especially because the game can be so long and the world is so big. And as you described it, most of the game is that middle third is that like exploring the world and so it's very easy i think to look back to look back on a playthrough with rose tinted glasses and say like oh i had so much fun playing this game because again if you like that mechanic then like or or you like that world you like exploring that world then you spent most of the time playing the game enjoying playing the game so therefore you like the game right right exactly there shouldn't there probably for most people isn't much more to it than that. And that's just fine. Um you know, in my personal experience Oh, and so and the rain thing was the other thing I wanted to bring up. It's so inch I've never heard it described as an opportunity for creative problem solving. Boy, are you lucky. I
0: I <laughs> The number of times. I don't
1: don't mean to be this guy, but I studied creative problem solving in grad school. Um, (laughs) And I don't see how it's an outlet for creative problem solving, because when it rains and you can't climb to a place you want to go, uh, are there creative ways you can still get up there? It seems to me like you just can't get up there and it's just an annoying limitation.
0: Uh, The simplest way to... uh, respond to that is um restrictions encourage creativity uh that is a given sure mm. and therefore by <laughs> creating this restriction you do have to find a different answer than the one you immediately thought of and how creative that answer is like maybe it's just going around the other way and that's not terribly creative uh but it's like, like in the most interesting no it's not interesting Trust me, I know. (laughs) But in the most literal sense, it is this outlet for creative problem solving in that it creates a restriction that makes you not choose your first answer. Um, And also, like, your second or third answer can often be the more creative answer for that reason. Um, But as we are kind of alluding to, the alternatives aren't necessarily creative. Uh, They can be. Sometimes, uh, but once you decide that you can use a special magic ability to fly up there or you can use your uh, stasis ability to like uh, rock jump you up a cliff like these are those are creative ways, more creative options than just going around. Um, but they all, they are also only creative like the first time or the second time. Um, And then there's the solutions that are the optimal solutions, which are really boring, which is one, going around, which just takes longer. um, Or two, you could sleep through the rain by setting up a campfire. And again, you can do these things. And the first or second time, they might be interesting, creative solutions. But the third through 800th time, they're not creative anymore because they become your first solution. And they've literally ceased to be creative. And then they're just an impediment to your progress. To which it was argued against me that it's only an impediment to your progress if you have a destination. But if your destination is the journey, then it's not an impediment. Um, I'm talking. I'm I'm actually talking about someone who does listen (laughs) to this podcast, so uh, at me, uh, if you will. Um, But my problem with that argument uh, is that the game encourage is exploring and set destinations. Actually, it encourages set destinations so much that you can only set one marker uh, as a destination on your map at a time, or at least one quest marker, to be clear and fair. Um, But if you try and select a second quest, it removes the previous one. So you put one... You clearly put one quest marker on your map, and you go towards it. So the game encourages singular destinations. It also encourages the journey, uh, but the rain is in um, the rain is in conflict with another design of the game. Very, I think that's very clear and objective.
1: Yeah, I, I totally see how that's the case. Um, I mean, the the sort of the journey being the destination argument is. It is an argument you can make about this and other open world games, um, or even more linear story-based games, mm-hmm. but the game has to hook you so that you're willing to roll with the punches that the game gives you because you want to see the conclusion. I feel, at least this is how I think about it. Probably not everyone thinks about it this way. I'd agree with that. Nothing... Nothing, especially since we said that the beginning of the game was subpar, like the tutorial section, mm-hmm. and the plot is very—I I mean, I think bad. uninteresting. Bad. It's very bad. Bad, say and bad. The, uh, <laughs> bad. <laughs> and the and and the development of the main character is non-existent as a character. Yep. And there's nothing for me to hold on to, and then I get off. I, then I get off the plateau. And I'm in this world that's presenting me with all these challenges. I remember, I forget if I mentioned this, I remember, I even booted up the game in like a year, but I remember the point where I stopped, which was I was in some stormy lightning field and I didn't have the tools to solve whatever puzzle was in the area. And it was constantly raining and I couldn't climb. And I I just felt like I had my hands tied behind my back. And it was this like, yeah, it was an interesting challenge, but I was like why am I doing this? Like, I just, and then I just thought about it and I was like, (laughs) I have no, I have no interest in overcoming this challenge. And that, that is where the game fails for me. Like I, I will play a hard game. I will overcome a challenge. Like control was a very hard game, but I was invested in the character and the story and the world, which I thought was beautiful and interesting. And I worked really hard to overcome those challenges. And Breath of the Wild did not earn that respect and I get oh it's Zelda it's history it's always been like that we've already talked about how that's a terrible <laughs> argument or a terrible rationalization yes. or something tradition but that's the problem with it like that yeah I,
2: I like rank games um, I only recently started doing this but like I, I rank games in my head on like a tier system and it's like tier one tier two tier three um, and for me that's the difference between like a top tier or a tier two game is like is it is it hooking me somehow it doesn't necessarily need to be the story although usually I think it is um, but basically what I like the way I I figure out what tier I'm gonna put it on is like did I finish the game or not? And like Zelda, I didn't. Um Breath of the Wild, I didn't. Um, Tony, you're not gonna be happy about this one, but control I didn't. Um, I know you just mentioned that, but it didn't it didn't hook me for whatever reason. I, I thought I, I do think both of those are good, decent games, but it's the difference between decent and great that makes it like a tier one and a tier two. Are like you,
0: I are you ready? Yeah. I'm gonna What's bring up? it back. You ready mm-hmm. for this? The difference between mm-hmm. a good game and a great game lies in the details See, (laughs) because breath of the wild has a bad story the story is bad and i will talk with anyone who would like to about why um but for sake of argument just work with me here the story is bad the side quests are bad the writing is not interesting (laughs) the details is what makes the game suffer now there are other details unrelated to the story that are better for example shield surfing is on paper <laughs> very cool the idea of it is very cool and even it i think this is a so they get lucky and they get a point in their favor. Uh, shield surfing, the existence of the mechanic at all, is actually relevant to speed running purposes. Uh, unfortunately, it's not relevant in the cool way, which is like you don't get to shield surf to go through areas faster. It actually gives you a double jump is what shield surfing does. It, like mechanically, like the way it works is when you start a shield surf, it like... Bat, it front flips you onto your shield in the air which is purely there to look cool but actually you can do it in the air so you get this uh sort of double jump out of it and you can uh cheese certain obstacles and puzzles by having a double jump that puzzles actually weren't designed to expect like they there was a complete. That's an oversight by the developer. Like I don't. You de- they definitely designed puzzles not to be double jumped over with the shield surf mechanic. But w- whatever. It it, yeah, it is. That's a cool that's creative problem solving, and that, and that is very creative problem like, solving. Exactly. Brain is not right. Right. But but like the shield surfing, like is a good detail in the game. Like you don't have to add this to the game at all. But this is something that they worked on. Like we talked about with the PS5. Like they put effort into the sound system, and it's a detail that's going to invest a number of players. Um, um, so mechanically, there are a lot of things you can do in the breath uh, and losing my mind. There's a lot of things you can do that are interesting in Breath of the Wild. You have a lot of options between your different like magic spells in the game with the uh, stasis and the uh, the cryosis or whatever they call them. Um, and then. After that, I feel like the game just suffers everywhere else where the okay, the other point that I did want to bring up that I do like about the game is why the world is interesting to explore, and there are numerous uh environmental and like architectural details strewn around the map that are interesting and seemingly constantly unique. Like, there's a mountain. Not not a very tall mountain. Like you can't see it from a far distance, but when you get close to it, you realize there is a mountain that's split in two from the top from the point down to the center, and that looks really cool when you like walk around and you and it catches your eyes like whoa, and it makes you want to explore it. And then when you explore it you find there's just a shrine on there and it doesn't pay off at all but it really <laughs> makes me want to explore. <laughs> and also um,
1: Journey did it first.
0: <laughs> sure yeah, I mean well but but, uh, but to be fair, that is one example. Like the game is littered with minor environmental and architectural details that are all unique and all interesting and they all make me want to go there. Like oh why is there a nest in this lone tree on this mountain? I want to see what's in the nest, and it's a core rock. Like I don't, every time, <laughs> every time I just I I explore it. Like there's like a single rock here, and it's a core rock again. It's like, God... and then there's a crevice, um, in this valley uh, that goes deeper than I've ever seen in the entire world, and it's a shrine. Like, God... right? Like they, they had good ideas,
2: they didn't follow it through, and I think that's that's an a. A thing that can really set a game apart, and like for me, a, a prime exam, a prime example of like a game that does it really well is like Red Dead Two. <laughs> of like, there's all these extra little things that don't matter, mm-hmm. but they they fill the world. That yeah, like some of the stuff I come across is is so freaking cool. They hook you, and it literally doesn't matter. Yeah, but it, like yeah. It, it's just it's random, random people with random stories that are not um that are interesting or frightening or something but they 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 do something for the player and it's not what the player is expecting always and ultimately doesn't matter like you can get away with not not seeing them and the story is no different and i think that that's the type of detail that i really love from a developer
1: you know what they actually do though in red dead and i think this is the essential difference between how Breath of the Wild is doing this and how Red Dead is doing this, it's something we talk about in theater and improv, which is establishing a sense of place. And in Red Dead, all of these side things, uh, they they don't matter. Like, I agree with you in the sense that they don't like mechanically matter. Right. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. But they're critically important because they function to establish a sense of place and transport the player into a time and place that they're not. And they can't be because it's, it's fiction and it's in mm-hmm. the past and it's, you know, all these other things. And Breath of the... Like, you know, Zelda, it's a fantasy world. This should be one of the highest priorities is making the player <laughs> feel like they can authentically... be That the place that they're in is established as a place that has... Again, it doesn't have to be real, but has internal consistency that's interesting and can transport the player into it. And... You know, Red Dead does that. Horizon does that in different ways. And Breath of the Wild just, Uh again, like, because it's always a Korok or it's always a shrine, it's not, it's just, it doesn't transport me into the world. It just reminds me I'm playing a Nintendo game. And that's not interesting. Yeah.
0: And this is, that's, I think the difference you're kind of talking about, I'm going to, I'm going to do myself a really, a real dirty here and say <laughs> a good thing about firefly pendants like the f- the, real advan- the real the real advantage the advantage of firefly pendants is that finding these collectibles throughout the world like you do get you can get a sense i don't i don't think they do this successfully but i think the point you're trying to make is that you can get a sense of like real people lived in this world mm-hmm. and real people died in this world and i think that's what maybe that's what they were trying to do with the firefly pendants i don't it didn't do that for me i completely um, agree but i can under but i can understand it as far as like it's it's trying to elevate the world whereas there's no reason like like Corax especially like it doesn't make any sense that 900, first of all that 900 of these little f***ers exist and also (laughs) that they're just scattered around the entirety of Hyrule like, why are you here? Are you hiding from what? Right? Are you not all hiding from the same thing? Like, don't, don't don't wouldn't traveling in groups work better? You all live in the same home. You literally don't live anywhere else. In fact, the story of previous Zelda games say you die when you're not in the forest. So why are you everywhere? Sorry, real missed opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's it's clearly it 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 is. They are abandoning these the, the world's building. Like they're just abandoning it for the sake of having a collectible and th- the, uh, sacrificing the possibility that it makes sense. Like it doesn't make sense to find a Korok under a rock. They you, you lift a rock and you hear a buck at the and then it goes pop and it exists into the air. Like where were you? You were waiting for me to lift a <laughs> rock. Where Do you exist in a different plane of existence? Because if you did, and you let me know that, that might be really cool and might explain why you can exist outside the forest and might explain why you're scattered around everywhere. It doesn't quite, but you know what? That's not the story. I'm not writing your game for you. I'm Mm -hmm. making this up, but you (laughs) could have made this up yourself and added it to your game, and you didn't, not because you weren't smart enough, but because you didn't care, and that's... The real sin. That's the thing I can't forget. Yeah,
1: it seems like there's the Koraks are directly splitting these two things. It's either because they're these animate character figures, Mm -hmm. they need to have, they need to be a part of the world and a part of the story, and they're not. Or if they're going to make them inert collectibles like they are, they should have made the collectibles an inert object, like shiny rocks or something. Mm-hmm. Like, don't make it a character that's alive if you're going to not put any life into right. it.
0: The life that they put into the Koroks, and again, I'm to, to and it, always attempting to be fair and, and always attempting to be empathized. Always. Mature, smart Alex. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure, and this is true of the shrines as well, uh, at least to the monks inside the shrines. There's, like, these monks. They're statues. Doesn't matter. All of the monks in the shrines and all of the Koroks, none of them are copied and pasted between each other. They all literally look different. There might be It might be just as simple as a color swap or an added shape or branch or whatever it may be, but they are all literally unique. It doesn't add anything. Yeah, like, like shiny old- rocks. Yeah, like <laughs> like you, like you have an infinite number of colors to choose from. So yes, they're all literally different, but they all have the same voice and dialogue, and they all are exactly the same in every other way and fashion. Uh, but that's all they did, which is to say, like that's probably a lot of work for someone. But like they just pay them a hundred thousand sure. bucks and move on with their lives, and like and then you're done. Like like Nintendo can do that, right? And, and it's
2: boring. And just because you worked hard doesn't mean it was worth it. Right. Yeah. Please. (laughs) Thank you.
1: I tried and therefore no one should criticize me. (laughs) Yeah. That's so true. (laughs)
0: It's, It's like saying, like, we brought up the dynamic range thing. Like, you did it. Like, you made your fight scenes loud. But, like, should you have... Yeah. Like was that really a good choice? <laughs> I don't know if it was. I'm not sure. Like I'm not an expert, but, it but wasn't. I don't know anyone who likes it. I I mean Dan's the only person I know who watched the show, but like I don't know anyone <laughs> who likes it. <laughs> it's actually a very popular show. That's surprising. Yeah. It's, it's, so is Zelda.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so still game of the year garbage?
1: Uh, yes.
0: The no, <laughs> hold on. Yes. I I I need yes. to I need to clarify. The game is not garbage, nor is it game of the year. Well, technically it is. <laughs> no, 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 There are plenty of people use the title <laughs> game of the year. The game awards don't get sole claim to that title. Uh, the game is not game of the year material. Like, is game of the year gar- like, because here's the problem. Is game of the year garbage a descriptor for games that are game of the year, but worse than game of the year, but still better than garbage? Or like... Because it's neither game of the year nor garbage. Yeah, if,
2: if, I, if, I, if I'm saying game of the year garbage, I'm talking about a game that is considered to be game of the year, but it
0: should right. be. Right, so it's not that it's garbage, it's just that it's garbage compared to what game of the year should be
1: right it doesn't uphold that standard
0: right it 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 is literal trash that should be thrown in the garbage compared to horizon zero dawn yes if every other game in the world was horizon zero dawn then it would be literal garbage like
2: like if somebody came into my apartment this second and held up my copy of horizon zero dawn and my copy of breath of the wild and said throw one out i would without hesitation throw out breath of the wild
0: good i needed to i just needed to make sure because (laughs) because i I had this dissonance all of a sudden where it's like i still i did because
1: i I have to say this game of the year garbage is not it's not that it does nothing right it's not that it's total trash it's not that it's irredeemable unless we're talking about Zelda, yeah
3: (sighs) i'm kidding i'm kidding
1: (laughs) i
0: did enjoy playing breath of the wild a little bit on stream i did I would yeah. say the last time I played it on stream was actually my most enjoyable time. I think I played it for 4 hours and at no point did I think like I was getting tired or wanted to put it down. I was like I actually enjoyed that whole stream. The time before that, I think I got tired of the game at like the 2 hour mark and it was like I could be done with this now and that'd be f- great. Um but like so my experience of the game is like I really think the game is average. Like it does a lot of yeah. good things. I got to tell you the game's ability to make me want to explore it is the most powerful thing about it. Uh, The numerous uh, options for like mechanical details uh, are interesting, but one criticism I do have about the game very strongly is that the controls are not very good in the game. Uh, I actually think the game is uh, very frustrating to control a lot of times. And I think Uh, My proof that this is objectively true is that in the settings menu, you can't change your controls, but you can make one change, which is to swap your... I don't have my switch on me, but it's whatever the four buttons on the right hand are. I think the bottom button's B, and the top button, I think, is X. Oh, yeah. Um, You can swap those. But that's it. You can't... You can't uh, link them to another button. Like you can just swap
1: those. You two. Can and swap we- those. You can't swap B and A to the correct positions. You right, can right. Only swap B and A conversations a whole other <laughs>
0: thing. Um, but the th- but the reason you can swap those is because the game is acknowledging that one, the default controls are what they believe are the best controls for this for these mechanics and these arrangements of the mechanics on the controller. That's what the game is communicating, that the default is what's going to be best. However, the game's acknowledging that what they believe is best is putting the jump button to a different button than every other game does it. And that's why you can swap them. You can put the jump button back to normal. But it actually is a little bit worse. Because, and, I, and I swapped the jump button back to the default in, ex, in my experimentation because there was a, I forget what exactly it was, but having to swap my thumb between running and jumping and using my sword, like the, the buttons weren't next to each other that I needed to be or something. like I forget what exactly it was. Um, but I understood why the default controls were there. But f- for all my 10 hours of gameplay that I just had, uh, I kept confusing the run and the jump button. Like I, I never got used all 10 hours of it. It was a running theme that like I kept confusing one with the other.
1: Yeah, it's an example of form over of function. Like Nintendo believes this is right and this is beautiful and of course the best and most accessible thing to do would be to let you put the buttons wherever you want like in most PC games. Yeah, but, that's you know, the easiest the, solution. They're they're never going to do that because they have a form in their mind that they want to they want to represent. I mean, so so in so in your example you're wow. saying mm-hmm. you swapped the jump button to the top button of the four which is the g- default. Oh, that's the default. to Have it on top. Yeah. So the, the funny, the funny thing about that is that's very PlayStation Two to me because the triangle.
0: Yeah, like mm-hmm.
1: d- don't like yeah. Don't challenge me to name names, but I remember there were like several games I played in the PlayStation Two generation where triangle was jump, and then eventually like mm-hmm. everybody was like, "Oh, that's mm-hmm. that's garbage. We're not going to do that." But you can see, except for Nintendo, but you can see, <laughs> you can see <laughs> why that decision would be made. You know, it's especially on a PlayStation, it's the triangle button, it points up, it's at the top, you're going up, jump, it makes sense, right? In your mind, mm-hmm. but it's not the colloquial language that we've established over all of these years of developing games. And for Nintendo to just flatly fly in
0: the face of that, for like, for
1: what reason, is just seems Here, ridiculous. The-
0: the reason that I I'm, I'm really I'm making a lot of assumptions, but from my point of view, what I think they w- were trying to do is in order, I run into this problem with Overwatch a lot where I have to bind my keys uh, such that I can perform certain actions at the same time. Um, so like in my left hand and right hand, uh, I had my left hand is movement, my right hand um, is shooting, and that I also have abilities. And the default is that the abilities are with my movements in the left hand, and I had to swap the abilities to my right hand with the shooting because more often I need to move and use my abilities at the same time. Yep. So if they're in the same hands, my I'll fingers same can't same press thing. two <laughs> buttons at once. Yeah. Um, the really nice thing about Overwatch is that it lets me choose all my buttons for me. So ultimately that's the best decision here. But I think what Nintendo want, was going for here is that they really do have a good setup on the controller. Like, it does make sense. The combination of things you would have to do at the same time, um, you can do with the default controls in every situation – And there's a lot of different controls. So even if you wanted to make them yourself, it's probably difficult to do so because you just don't understand all the consequences and all the situations uh, that you would have to use these different commands. So Nintendo did the work for you to try and optimize it as far as using as many buttons at the same time as possible. But the problem is it's just not what we're used to. This is the only game that has this kind of control scheme, and I have to sit down and learn it before I can play your game, and it's a Zelda game. It's not Slay the Spire. It's not Celeste. It's not Sekiro. It's not a game (laughs) that I pick up. To use a popular phrase, it is a lean back game. It is not a lean forward game. I want to sit down and relax when I play Breath of the Wild. I do not want to take out a textbook and study and learn and practice. <laughs> I want to just enjoy your game, which is an argument for not allowing you to change your controls. Well, it's not a good argument, but it's, it's an argument for having it's like enemy. an obvious default, um, and you can just like have it at that. Um, but ultimately, 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 ultimately... The important thing is that no one plays two games the same way. There are people who want to play Zelda as a lean forward game. I don't know why. Maybe it's really hard for them. Fine. You know what? That's perfectly reasonable and I shouldn't judge them and I'm kind of an for even saying that. But you know what? That is perfectly reasonable and the easy answer is just to let us bind our own controls. Have a default. Go for it. Even have alternate suggestions. Games do that. But ultimately just let us find our own controls, gosh darn it. Like <laughs> we we can do it. And those of us who <laughs> want to do it will do it and we'll be better for it.